I hear sniffling. What's going on? Someone going to start? I have no idea. Ken, I thought you were starting. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'm starting now. I uh, guess we're 40 or 50 seconds into a live and we didn't know we all missed it. Everybody's <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> folks. I'm Terry Batiste with the Big Bass Podcast, it's the podcast where size matters. <laughs> this is uh, not my podcast. <laughs> Ken, we're, we're, uh, we're live. I have no idea what's going on here, folks. But uh, hey, everybody, welcome to the Big Bass Podcast, a fishing show where size matters. Uh, my name is Ken Duke. I'm Byron Velvick. Hey. And that's Byron Velvick. I'm <laughs> Terry Batiste, my host. And I think everybody recognized the music from uh, Terry Batiste's high school days. That was his band. Was that yeah. um, and I have no idea what that was about, but that was that was pretty screwy. Yeah, um, it was way screwy. Our apologies for that. That was actually probably my fault, and I blame myself. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't We've got know. a we great show Nathan for you tonight. We and I can't blame Nathan for that. That was I. I think I know what I screwed up on that on that deal. But forget about that. Forget about the weird intro. Forget about the the rap music. Forget about all that stuff. This is all going to be fixed and made better immediately because of our fabulous guest, our friend Byron Velvick. Uh, <laughs> we had Byron on a couple months ago, and. Uh, we we dug deep into his swim bait knowledge, but but one of the reasons we love to do the live show uh, is it's an opportunity for you folks watching, listening. Well, at least the folks watching on YouTube anyway, and maybe through some of the other social media platforms to jump in and have this conversation with Byron as well. So please, by all means, jump in and and let's all talk to Byron. Yeah. Byron, welcome. Hey, thanks, Ken. Was there music playing that I didn't hear? Was there some kind of a, a rap thing happening? Because I missed all that. What, what, what was going down over there? I, I think what actually happened there, we haven't had given Terry even a chance to speak yet, but what was actually going down was we accidentally tapped into the music that Batiste plays in his office 24-7. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> that is wrong. Ice Cube, NWA, <laughs> Run DMC. Is that... <laughs> Stiff little fingers. The Hill Gang. Uh, yeah, yeah. Insane Cloud. TSOL. I Black Flag. <laughs> I have no I, idea what any I, of that is. It's a retro oh, music man. podcast, not a fishing podcast. That is so true. You know, the Big Bass Podcast, we're more about the big gangsta rap podcast. <laughs> we're changing the name. But, uh, man, thank you, Byron, for coming back and, and doing a live show with us because your 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 previous appearance was so popular. I had so many folks uh, tuning in. We know they want to have a chance to to have some discourse with you. But first, one of the last things I ended uh, your last appearance with us on was I was saying, man, why aren't you doing a podcast? Because you are so good at this, much better than Terry and myself. What progress has been made to get the Byron podcast going? Ken, you don't have to look any farther than Nathan, your engineer and sound guru, media guru, who will say that Byron guy has no idea how to even handle an iPad, iPod, uh, a computer. So unless I have, unless I steal Nathan away from you and he and I sit here in San Antonio and we do this whole podcast together, I, 
I am all thumbs and no fingers when it comes to all this tech stuff. So I, I think a podcast is way off in my never my another lifetime, maybe, but definitely not this life. I tell you, man, I, I have zero technical skills. I joke that I have the technical skills of the Amish. You have and, Nathan. Uh, you have Nathan. Well, that's, that's exactly right. But you have a teenage daughter. And I'm pretty sure that any teenage girl in America is tech savvy and can do this podcast, YouTube stuff very, very well. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you even have a good excuse. And you don't have to pay her. And I don't have to pay That's true. It's free labor. It's child labor, but it's free labor. I'll just have to break these child labor laws in that one. But yes. I could actually recruit my daughter to help me with this podcast. And she may go for that. She was actually the one who was a big part of, of getting you on the show last time and Boy, getting that... over some of those technical hurdles. <laughs> yeah, it was her computer we had to use. Remember we had to use her school computer? Like yep. I had a bottle of this iPad because as you guys told me, my brand new supposedly nice computer has no microphone that works or it barely works. She... Like I was in a it... submarine talking to you guys through a tin can with a wire. Didn't didn't she get in trouble the next day for st for streaming on her work or her uh, school computer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one, what they thought about that when they see all the time she put in at night streaming on a school computer. <laughs> wow, I didn't oh, I had no man. idea. But sorry about that. Sorry to your daughter on that deal. But she's she's you know, got in trouble for a lot worse, unfortunately. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I love your name for the show. You're you're not Byron Velvic in your little ID there. You're that swimbait guy. Last time I think you identified yourself as swimbait OG. The OG. Mm -hmm. The OG, yeah. And and obviously a lot of your reputation is based upon your skills and and tremendous tournament record, uh, which a lot of that was done on swimbaits. Yeah. Um is that is that an identity you like? A lot of a lot of pro anglers want to be thought of as extremely versatile and, and things like that. But I've always thought there was power in being identified with something very specific, like Zell Rowland in the pop off yes. or, or yeah. Denny Brower in a black and blue jig. Exactly. You're not really, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to just be known as just an all-around, you know, yeah, you're a great fisherman, you're real versatile. We're all versatile. You know, I've won tournaments on Carolina rigs, I've won tournaments, you know, on a lot of other things, but 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 I love the moniker because I pioneered, it. you know, I feel blessed that I was fortunate, you know, 20 years ago to pioneer something, which has really become a hot rage now. And it's it wasn't 20 years ago, Byron. It was 30 years ago. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> bad news, my friend. Bad, bad news. 15 years ago. You know, my <laughs> you're right, Terry. It's probably 30 plus years ago. It is, isn't Wait. it? Yeah, because I'm. Didn't you win that first was it a Pedro or a Shasta event like in the mid '90s? Yeah, yeah, it was the mid '90s actually. Yeah, <laughs> dude, oh we're in the mid twenties. Oh, old. Yikes! <laughs> I know it was the mid '90s, and so it's crazy that you're talking to these kids who weren't born yet about throwing a swim bait. So I just did. Yeah. A, I did two club meetings here in Bernie. I went to two of the, the it was so cool to do the bass club meetings, the bass club Bernie, Bernie Bass Club meetings and 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 these kids and kind of trying to give them the history of swim baits from back. It's like, you know, talking about when cell phones didn't exist, you know, or them having, you know, the idea of what the hell's a fax machine or what's a CD, what's a CD. And you're talking about the world before swim baits. It's it's hard for them to imagine a time when a super spook was the was so big that we couldn't believe they would eat that. It's just yeah, crazy. It was huge. We all lived in a world where we thought fish weren't eating anything bigger than three or four inches. And if it was five, six inches, it was a saltwater lure that you were tricking them with. You know, so it's, it's, yeah. it's neat to be a pioneer of that. And to your point, I like that I have that identity, I suppose. I'm going to make a bold statement and say that uh, if not for Byron Velvic, I think 
the role of big swim baits, not just in tournament fishing, but uh, but in, in average angler fishing as well, but especially tournament fishing. I think you were responsible for getting that out in the mainstream 10 years before it might have been without you. Yeah, I, yeah, I, would say I appreciate that. I, I, I loved being at the forefront of it. You know, there wasn't anybody, everybody was shocked that I was throwing them in tournaments. You know, it was just kind of a, it was kind of a swing for the fences, Southern California trout deal is what it was, as we talked about last time. You know, that's really where it all came out of just stocking trout in Southern California. That's where it really, it really took off. Obviously, you can catch them a variety of ways. Obviously, as a tournament guy, uh, I'm guessing that you have the same perspective that a lot of guys like me who follow tournaments have, and that is that there's first place, and then there's a bunch of guys who aren't making much money. Right. How much did that inform your idea to to go out there and, and swing for the fences? And, and, you know, when I was living tournament to tournament, and I was fishing out west, and to, Terry, to your point, when I was winning Orville or Don Pedro or Folsom or almost winning Shasta against Gary Dobbins, you know, finishing second to Gary Dobbins, those were times when you're having to dethrone Gary Dobbins back then when it, it was it was win or die. And you have to win at least a boat a year because that's what you'd win, a boat a year. But you yeah. have to win one a year, take home that boat and sell it just to keep going. And that was yeah. how we lived was off of winning that boat at a tournament. You know, you know, gosh, if you win two tournaments, you get two boats, you're way better off. But but that's where that swim bait had to be powerful. I I knew that if I just went out there and threw a soft plastic bait, you know, and, and, and was like everybody else, I could be a top 10 guy, but that's not going to get the bill paid. I'm not going to last in the West Coast being a top 10 guy. And I had some friends and mentors who were fantastic, consistently fantastic anglers that taught me about fishing, but they were just, you know, those kind of guys that could go out and catch great, catch good limits, not great limits, catch good limits and finish in the top 10 a lot. But, you know, that, that for me to do it for a living and want to make a living strictly at fishing and doing it out West, I had a win. You just had a win. And for me, the swim bait was the way for me to see the easy, the easy way for me to see a win. You know, what, it, what got you uh, to, to throw at that first, that first time in a tournament situation? Um, I think, and this is going way back. Uh, I, I, I would see opportunities where you would, a lot of guys were throwing them for bed fishing, just for bed fishing to trigger a strike. There were, and I shouldn't say a lot. There were a very few group of guys who knew they could yeah. fire into a bed. But I would see these fish chasing these little kokanee salmon around at Shasta. You'd see some mauled, you know, bait fish. You'd see them. You, I, I told you guys a story about Clear Lake. You know, everybody knew they were eating that hitch. And I told you, every, nobody knew what a hitch was. Remember that yeah. joke? Everybody thought yep. that's where the boat meets the truck. That's all a hitch was. <laughs> you know, the word hitch. Yeah was foreign to everybody and, and not just clear lake but all the lakes up there i think i knew going back to when i was fishing those baits in southern california for the trout knowing those big fish big fish would react out of their brain unconsciously you know that we talked about this i could imagine what it was like for dave glebe and d thomas in the glory days of flipping and pitching you know when yep. when when nobody else was doing it and they had volumes of unfished water to go to because everybody fished up to the struck the target but never fished in the target and that's what d thomas and dave levy were doing well i saw that metamorphosis of a bass's personality completely change when they saw the big bait so to your point terry i had so much confidence in it that i thought i just need to figure out what big color and size they will eat you know up in northern california or, or out in arizona 
or maybe in Nevada, if I could come bring a small swim meet over to the U.S. Open, which Folkstad knew I was doing, but never found out which one. You know, I was in, I was incorporating I was incorporating a bigger bait than most people had seen at every lake I could. That that I still felt as long as I knew what the forage was, that was yeah. going to be a game changer because those fish just didn't see them, and those fish would chase yeah. it to the boat. And like I told you guys last time, if you stop it at the boat, they eat it right there, thinking it's still real, and your pause was the connection for them to eat it. That was so cool. Yeah. Back, I feel like I was lucky to have those glory days. And, and that back in those days, you had Havasu, which if you caught 11 or 12 pounds of fish, you were in the top three. And same thing with Oroville. If you had nine pounds of fish a day, you were in the top three. And using that swim bait and catching that one key three-pounder. Right. Could And a three-pounder is going to smoke a seven-inch swim bait or a nine-inch that- swim bait. That picture right there is from Havasu. Those fish right there. That's my daughter. That's ha- that's that's funny you mentioned that, Terry, because that's the Havasu weigh-in. You know, and <laughs> those fish were eating a, a little jointed glide bait. That was a neat experience because those fish right there in that picture were coming out of these. Everybody fishes the toolies at Havasu. Everybody yep. fishes the toolies. When you throw a glide dip bait on the outside of that toolie line, those fish that you can't believe are even sitting in there come out and eat that bait off of your trolling motor through the toolies. I mean, it, and everybody's fished a worm, a drop shot, a jig, and everybody's fished. They, they pull their boats into those toolies, you know, and fish deep in them. I'm staying on the outside, paralleling it with the glide bait and literally drawing these good size fish out yeah. of breath. They just come kamikazing out of toolies. It tells you they're still living in there, but they're just ignoring all the fishermen except for my glide bait. It's crazy, yeah. right? I mean, it was, those were amazing times. Just amazing. Interesting that you bring up D Thomas, Dave Glebe, the, the early flippers. And uh, I tend to think in 1975 when D Thomas came out and fished BASS and won uh, in Arkansas, uh, I, I, I tend to think of that as the beginning of the flipping era in terms of comp- competitive fishing. I realized he was doing well, obviously, and winning a lot of stuff in California for a few years before that. But I think of that as the beginning of the flipping era in big-time competition. And I think that the flipping era may be over now because of stuff like forward-facing sonar mm-hmm. and these guys who are throwing swim baits to fish that are, are not relating to structure or cover. Is that a fair statement, Byron? What do you think? Man, I think a lot of things are over. It's crazy. I, what I think's <laughs> happened with forward-facing sonar is – you're seeing right now a huge amount of the shallow bite, whether it's the frog bite, the flipping bite, you know, a lot of those bites are, are, are you know, I think I talked to Clun, you know, Clun came to the U.S. Open and, and so we were sharing a houseboat at the U.S. Open. You know, I think Clun is is hoping that, you know, a lot of those shallow fish get a lot less pressure because <laughs> they're yeah. shallow anymore. You know, it's like everybody's out there forward. I think Clum's waiting, waiting for those fish to get smart enough to stay away from the sonar. So, you know, like you're pushing that those fish out of range, which is happening. But the forward-facing sonar has changed so much that, that I'm sure it's hurt the tackle industry. I'm sure crankbait sales are way down. Hardbait sales are way down. You know, you think of everything but a small piece of plastic with a jig head must be way down as far as tackle sales. Because that forward-facing sonar has has really kind of, it's it's eliminated, to your point, Ken, the flipping, pitching, frog, all of the, you know, attack bites, the shallow water, you know, strictly shut your all of your electronics off and go to the bank bite. And I think Clun's hoping that the sooner those fish get wise to the forward-facing sonar, but all those kids are still out there chasing them, the better it's going to be for the shallow water angler. You know, maybe that's going to be the case. If you were still out on the trail, would you be one of those guys who would embrace the technology and, and see it as something you have to learn to stay competitive? Or would you 
go a different direction. I. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There oh. he is. We lost you for a second. <laughs> We're jumping around. It's making it hard. <laughs> now I'm over here. Hi, guys. Okay. Hey. <laughs> oh, now I'm back. This is fun. It's like one for you. I'm dizzy. Yeah. I I just finished the U.S. Open. I did horrible at the U.S. Open, and I tried really hard to embrace forward-facing sonar. I uh I was I was I was so frustrated by so many guys doing it in areas that I pull into and doing it in ways that I never even thought about at the U.S. Open. I never I never thought about this. It's it's a shared weight event. I pull an area where I had found some fish. The co-angler was on the big motor driving around, and the pro was up at the front with the big motor on, just scanning the whole time, and they were picking off fish on the big motor. I'm like, I had to go back to the tournament director and say, is this legal? Yeah, that's not legal a lot of places. If they have both have life jackets on, both butts don't have to be in the seat at at that tournament. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm these... These young guys are literally telling their co-anglers just to drive them around. And all they're doing is just scanning back and forth. When they put it in neutral and then they cast to the fish. I'm like, oh, this is wow. this is so lopsided now. And, and, yeah. and I'm over there going, I, I'm, I'm, you know, like we talked about, Terry, I'm old now. And so it's like I'm still trying to catch on to it. But I'll, I'm frustrated. I'm really frustrated by it because it's such a hard learning curve for an older person. It really is. And that's what I that's the way I see it. I mean, it's it's showing in the standings. You know the guys that well it it takes the 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 hunt out of it really yeah. i mean and and using intuition in order to find where the fish should be and everything that we did i've heard so many things on this and and and, and really your your fishing skills are are irrelevant now you know your your true what we knew is fishing skills now it's your electronic skills now it's how many transducers do you have how well can you read them how accurate are you in reading your bait with the transducer and scanning fish and, 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 and the guesswork of like us going out and breaking down a lake is gone. Yeah. You know, and, and I loved breaking down a lake. I was just telling uh, someone the other day that, you know, the best thing in the world is when it, the, the patterns coming together and it's a pattern, you know, that's coming together through the course of the day of competition. And you're getting more and more excited because you're, you're starting to be able to call your shots well, there's a mystery mm-hmm. there and a magic there that you're able to call the shot. And it's not that you're looking at the fish. You're kind of getting an idea what they finally are relating to. And you're like, hey, I think I got this figured out. You know, and when I go around the corner to the next spot, I'm like, I can actually pick where those fish are going to be in the next cove, having never been in that cove before. And those were beautiful times. And those times are, are out the window now with these. You just pull up, put your trollmore down, scan. You don't see them, you leave. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating for me. Yeah. You know, we're talking about what what seems like a long time ago now but since terry byron and i are all about the same age we can tell you it seems like yesterday but byron back in the 90s i bet most of our our, our audience doesn't know about this uh, rick clun put together a four volume series of magazines books he called angler's quest mm-hmm. and i know you're tight with clun and you were part of that and you wrote some really interesting stories in that series and and i don't want to just hear but let's say it was very new agey. Yeah. Is that fair? No, it's totally fair. It was, yeah, it's totally yeah, it was, fair. It was all about the the magic of communing with nature and developing a rapport with, with nature and the fish and so forth. Do you still feel that way about the, the angling experience? I feel that way. Unfortunately, it doesn't translate to tournaments like it used to. Now, the trans, now it's so highly electronic that that purity of fishing for me you know, being in the zone and, 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 and fishing in the zone and, and getting to a point where you feel like 
whether you win or lose, you're fishing a flawless tournament. You know, your execution is good. You're not losing any fish. You, you, you are the best angler you can be at that time for that weekend or that three or four day event. It, it, it's like, there's this, there's this euphoria and this high that you're on when you're right driving around the lake and all the other boats are just marker buoys. They're just not, they're not even sure. Right. I should say they're just, they're just out of in your way. You go around the corner, you see a boat, you're like, ah, it doesn't matter. I know where the fish are. Like, I don't care. I'm not, I don't care if that's Kevin Van Dam or Randy Howell or Denny Brower or Casey Ashley. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm just going to not pay attention. I don't know the fish are doing so uh -oh. well. Oh, there we go. Hey, I'm over here. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Jeez. Anybody getting dizzy? We're, we're I, I am. Oh, guess, which, guess, guess where we're at now? It's like a shell game. <laughs> it is a shell game. I, I love I loved I loved the, uh, the 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 days the tournaments the experiences I had and the magic to your point Ken the magic and the magic seems to be gone because I was so frustrated at the U.S. Open this year and it was all electronics I couldn't decide whether I should shut them off because I'm scaring the fish because you could feel the fish were just getting harder and harder and harder to catch every day and and the guy that won it Kyle Grover was talking about you know he was having to. He was having to be casting. He was only seeing him at 115 to 120 feet out. You know, the, Holy crap. Out, they were gone. And, and you could see them disappearing on your screen all the time. And I'm like, this is, these fish are getting blitzkrieged by these electronics. And even if you shut them off, the fishing just turned horrible because there was so much noise in the water, if you will. You know, the boats, all the electronics, the forward facing yeah. sonars. You know, it's a small lake, it's, it's Mojave, and it was tough. And it's clear. I mean, it's clear. Yep. it's 25 30 foot visibility right so that, that, that even just adds to it exactly it's clear there's no grass it's water and rock mostly you know there's mm -hmm. there's no grass there's bait fish and stripers and 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 everybody was complaining about you know and, and you have no you only you, you have like a a, a 10-day practice period so guys are practicing for 10 days on that like so wow. you know they used to not have an off limits at all and they finally implemented off limits but i I wish they would have like a two or three day off limits, not even 10 days, because at least give us a chance. Give the fish a chance. Give us a chance to maybe have so, experience. I have a question for you. Of all the river lakes that you grew up fishing, I grew up fishing, what was your favorite? Until this last US Open, it was Mojave. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> as a kid, I went there as a kid. I When I did the Hall of Fame, we each had the Hall of Fame and I got, and I gave the speech about the, you know, I grew up fishing Mojave from the bank when Steve Oliver used to take me there and, mm -hmm. and at Cottonwood Cove. I mean, I, I loved pulling up in my boat and looking at the shoreline that I used to walk as a 13, 14, 15 year old bass crazy kid, you know, during the tournament, everybody would put their boats in the water. I had to wait till I was 16 to fish a tournament. So I would just walk the banks all around the marina and I'd fish all, catch all these fish. And then when Steve would come in, the poor guy would be like, Hey man, I caught 13 pounds walking the bank, you know? And he's like, it's not the same thing. Cause he'd come in with eight pounds all day long or nine pounds. And I'd have 13, 14 pounds. Well, yeah, I'm in the marina. I'm at the buoy line and I'm fishing off the bank. But Gary, to your point, it was, it was, it was that place to me is special because that's where my mentor and, you know, the, the guy that raised me like a father took me when I was a young angler dying to become a professional fisherman. So Mojave has the most sentimental attachment. And it was just frustrating that this year it was such a miserable tournament. <laughs> Thanks to forward facing. Yeah. For, for the folks who are not familiar with the U.S. Open, it is one of the great traditions 
in the sport. And I, I guess it started what in the very early eighties. Byron's won it twice. Yep. Uh, he's one of a handful of guys who've won more than once. He's a legend. He's a Hall of Famer. And um, it, it it used to be just on Mead for decades. It was only on Mead, and, and now they're kind of moving it around. So it was on Mojave. And uh, and I, I hate to backtrack to forward facing sonar, but let me go back one one more time oh, because yeah. it's such a hot button issue out there. Um, Byron. You, me, Terry, we're not innocent on technology. When we got started, there were flashers. Soon after, there were paper graphs. Mm -hmm. uh, but now people seem to be really, really polemic on this forward-facing stuff. Where would you draw your line in the sand with regard to technology and competition? You know, I, I love talking to Rick Clunt about this stuff. Again, he's his, his input. And he said it's it's just too early. It really, it's too early to really cast a, a hard vote either way because I'm still thinking those fish are acclimating to it. You know, I, I know it's it's really tough, but I, I mean, we talked about this that I mean, when they, when Daryl Lawrence first came out with the Lawrence, wasn't it banned in? I know you know this, Ken. I mean, wasn't it banned in Minnesota or didn't they? No, ban no, that was the, the it was the paper graph in 1975 that they were trying to ban in Minnesota. Yeah, but when it came out in '57 in the '60s, there were people trying to ban the Flasher. The Flasher. That's what I think Rick told me that was banned in one or two states. I thought that's what Rick had told me that that the Flasher. Because people thought that even the flasher was some kind of an, un and that was just to read the bottom mostly, but you could see a fish on it. But you know that. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm hoping the fish, and they're really amazing how fast they they figure this out. You know, Rick tells me that you know you go to Missouri, Table Rock, and Bull Shoals, and all that, and you can't get within casting range of those fish on the on the forward facing sonar anymore. You're literally pushing them out of your way. You know, they know you're there, yeah. and you can't make a cast far enough, and so some of the people that have been helping Rick try to understand it are saying, Hey, it's getting to the point now where we can't catch them off it because it's too far. Those fish know that they're being shot. So that's why at the U S open this year, I was doing a lot of shutting it off because I had a pretty good U S open last year, except for my, you know, so, so, you know, some stuff, but, but I, I, I was running quiet. I was running super quiet. I was shutting everything off because to your point, Terry, it's a clear lake and I love fishing with no electronics. If I can. I want that boat to be so silent. I'd rather have the stereo on so it sounds like a ski boat. Because <laughs> 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 I just never think of a ski boat. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Funny story like about that. that. At Havasu, when you pull into a cove and you shut your electronics off and there's a bunch of skiers and partiers in there, you catch a lot more fish. Because the sound of your trolling motor and your lack of electronics is either grounded out, but those fish are a lot more comfortable when there's a big party going on in there, but when you pull into a quiet, peaceful cove, you have your electronics on, you're just another guy making all that same exact scary sound and you don't catch as many fish. So I learned years ago, it was better to have a, a lot of noise going on anywhere at, at a lake and fishing around noise because those fish are, are, are desensitized to the sound of our predatory bass boats. Cause our boats sound predatory in the water. I know guys, well, you guys are, probably a lot more familiar with this stuff than I am, but in the striper world, uh, and I used to live in Georgia around Lanier and in that striper world, there's a thing called a thumper. Have y'all heard about this? It's a device. It is a noise making box that you lay on the, on the hull of your boat as close to your interior of your hull as you can get. And it just goes, bam, bam. You can set the, the pace and all of it. 
and they say it draws stripers to it. Wow. They'll swear to me that it'll draw stripers. And they'll say that they're also catching a bunch of big spots and other fish that are coming to it as well. Wow. Now, a, a spot is a real curious fish, at least in my experience. But I'm amazed at the at the bizarre electronics we have out there, uh, the hydro wave, the thumper, and now all this other stuff. And I wonder how much of it, uh, obviously forward facing is pretty dang effective, but I'm wondering how much of the other stuff is, is truly driving fish away versus calling them in, how much of it is depending upon that individual fish. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the fun things we used to do at Livingston Lures all the time, whenever you do a boat show or you go to a, a fishing show, you drop that thing in the water and the fish come out with no hooks on it. They'll just peck at that thing. I mean, this is this is a lure that's making it's, – it's a hideaway built into a fishing lure. That's basically the best way to explain right. Livingston, any Livingston bait. All the Livingston baits have the little microchip and the, the little soundboard in them and the little speaker. And it was really, really cool, Ken, to your point, just to drop it in there and watch the bluegill come peck at your – rattle trap you know your lipless bait it's a lipless living stem but because it's giving off that crunchy little sound of a distressed bait fish right. you know they come up and they hit the thing with no hooks on it just because it's like making a noise and they're like like peck peck peck, peck at it you're like and and that that sells a lot of baits at a show when the people are standing around the oh. aquarium and they've seen every guy go up there and then you throw a thing in the water and you just hold it there and the fish literally swim right up to it because <laughs> noise just like a hydro wave you know yeah. guys all the time when they used to have hydro waves you'd see the fish coming to your trolling motor and they'd swim up to your trolling motor where the speaker was and then they'd eventually realize they're coming towards a boat and they'd swim off and i saw that a ton of times at at lake mead with schools of stripers and you'd have your hydro wave on and you see a giant it looks like an underwater pyramid because it's a it's like a pyramid of fish and it's a moving pyramid that's coming towards your boat up from under we only had 2d at the time so our, our sonars are reading straight down, but deep down there'd be these schools of stripers. They'd hear that hydro wave and they'd come shooting up and it'd be like a pyramid of fish. And they'd come all the way up and like, oh, look at all the fish coming to the boat. And then they'd see, realize it wasn't a school of shad, which they thought it was because it was a shadow and it was on the surface and it sounded like a like bait because it was a hydro wave. And so they're rushing from 30, 40, 50 feet of water up. And then they realize that's a really, that's a boat. And they all go back down, they disperse. And I can't tell them. <laughs> It was crazy to see that with a hydrowave on. That, that that is amazing. I think Rick Klein makes a great point when he says it's too early, because I don't think we have a, a ton of significant data. Um, it's been out that technology's been out since 2018 when Garmin introduced uh, Panoptics, but but it wasn't until uh, this past year that there was a significant boost in the catch rate in the Elite series, and that could be. That could be due to the, the venues that were chosen, the weather that happened by, or it could be due to forward facing. It's hard to say. Yep. Hey, Nathan is bringing us in some questions now. Good deal, Nathan. Thank you. Terry, you got that one? Dr. Drop? It just says uh, thumpers are used here in Texas by the sand bass and hybrid striper guides. Sounds like a hammer beating against the bottom of a boat. Oh, so he's familiar with it. Yeah, yeah it, I never heard it's of a, it. It's a, it makes a racket. It sounds like, you know, the worst neighbor you've ever had. Uh, if you were near a boat doing this, you would think, oh my God, I got to get away from this guy. He's, he's alerting every fish in this section of the lake. Hey, the only time I've done it is out in the ocean fishing a shark. You know, you'd hit the side of the boat with a <laughs> like gunny sack. 
Yeah, right. You draw, draw the sharks. Draw draws up. You just gotta bang the uh, the diving thing and get him to eat it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was a Jaws moment when he banged on the, uh, the the tank, the diving tank, to get the the, the, the shark to eat the tank. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, and, it, and, and oh, we actually did it. Yeah. Nathan, there was an early question by Academic Mailbox that that uh, came in really early. I'm going to ask that one, Byron, if you don't mind. Uh, Academic Mailbox, there's a handle for you. Uh, could Byron say something about his experience of saltwater species fishing and how it influenced his freshwater approaches? Yes, a great question because I grew up in Southern California, Orange County, starting off in the ocean fishing. HB, dude. HB, exactly. <laughs> off the what is HB? Huntington Beach. Beach. Huntington Beach, California, Surf City, USA. Like every great surf song, and it's just and that's that's a legendary surf little town. Not so little anymore, unfortunately. But I grew up in that town, went to Huntington, Huntington Beach High School, and 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 the inshore bite was really what kind of dialed me in, and and, and that was where I was had the aha moment with swim bait fishing was that I was fishing calico bass white sea bass, sand bass, out on the Huntington Beach Flats, uh, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Horseshoe Kelp, Catalina Island, all the islands out there, Channel Islands, San Clemente. And it was, you know, I, I didn't like the offshore stuff nearly as much, but the inshore bite was, was paramount in me having the confidence to throw the bigger baits for bass because I had already thrown all that, you know, I was throwing that a lot for in the, in the inshore saltwater, Southern California inshore saltwater uh, uh, fishing. So that, that was a huge influence for me. And it really did help me know the cadence. I mean, swim bait fishing isn't easy. You know, you got to have the right rod. You got to have the right reel. You got to have the right feel. You, you got to have the right cadence. You got to have confidence in it. And a lot of guys, especially back in the day, would say, man, it's not an easy thing to learn. You know, it's like I can go out and learn drop shotting in a day pretty easily or, 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 or any of these techniques. I see it from Japan. These finesse techniques are pretty easy to learn because you catch so many fish on them. You don't get a lot of bites to begin with on a swim bait. So my experience of getting a hell of a lot of bites inshore saltwater fishing in Southern California, you know, on big baits, soft plastic baits, the worm king we talked about. The I remember I pulled yeah. it out. The gal yeah. that I you know and the old the old soft plastic worm king and just throwing these dinosaur baits it, it was it was great it helped a lot yeah you'd go out there and catch you know a, a pound calico or a pound and a half calico or a sand bass on an eight or a nine inch flipping worm king yep it's like, yep. what the hell is this thing trying to do yep <laughs> and that showed you right and the bass are the same way so it's exactly the largemouth bass are no different than the than the calicos and the sand bass that are eating back then, shocking us back then. These kids now, they, it's 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 just a foregone conclusion that these bass will eat an eight, ten, twelve inch bait. For us, you would have never believed it thirty years ago. You would have thought you were crazy if you were throwing a ten or twelve inch bait, thinking you'd get a strike. You know, they thought you lost your mind if you pulled that out of your rod box back then, and they did. So yeah. Uh, you you've done people don't realize the sacrifices that Byron Velvick made as a young guy to get out there and to compete at the highest levels. And he always had the talent, but not everybody's always had the bankroll. And and one of the stories I've heard you talk about a little bit, Byron, was some of the work you did on the party boats. Yeah, I guess the offer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think those are, are amazing stories. Yeah, I was uh, in order. My mom, I was I was raised by my mom, single mom, you know, a school teacher. Uh, dad left early. So, 
my mom wasn't, I, I didn't have a silver spoon. I didn't have anybody buying me a boat or, 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 you know, bankrolling my fishing career by any means. It was, it was everything I could do to fish. And, and, and she used to take me to these docks in Newport beach, uh, down at, uh, Balboa, Balboa landing and seal beach. And, and she would just drop me off to get on these boats to go fishing. And so she'd give me the money and she gave me enough money to, to have a hamburger and a drink and some fr French fries and, and fish. And she knew she'd put me on the boat. And then at three o'clock, she'd come pick me up. You know, and that was, that was what she used to do is drive me to these, 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 these places. And, and I got on these boats and I, and, and I made friends with the deckhands and I got to know the captains and I became a deadhead. You guys know what a deadhead is. I, I was a young deadhead. And a deadhead is the kid that gets on the boat for free. Plus, they give him all the food he wants. He can eat all the free hamburgers you want, French fries. But you and you're in the jackpot. But you're in the jackpot. And when you win the jackpot, you just give it to the crew. So literally, you give the crew the jackpot. They don't even give you any money for it. They, your no. your job is to win the jackpot. You're a, you're a raker. You're a seated little. And you're and I was so nondescript. You know, here's this young kid. But they would give me a brown bait. They'd say, Hey, go up to the. Uh, go up to the front because there's, you know, something up there that I need to throw a brown bait on. And they would help me know how to win the deadhead jackpot. And the jackpot was just cherry picking. So I became, I started deadheading, you know, when I was young and then I got offered the gig to start doing some deckhanding and I loved it. Uh, it was just neat to be a deckhand and a, and a deadhead on those boats. And that, I mean, when you're winning the jackpot as a young guy, you're like, I if I make money fishing, even though I give it to the deckhands and the captain, I'm still hooked on competitive fishing. So my introduction to real competitive fishing was jackpot deadheading on those party boats, Ken. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, a beautiful story. That's how it all started. What, boat, what boats did you work on? Uh, the, the Fury 2, the Fury, the Freelance, uh, God, what was oh, it? No. the Matt Walsh. Remember the yeah. Matt Walsh? That thing burned down, I think. The Matt Walsh, yeah, the, Fury, the Fury, the Freelance, the Thunderbird uh god i can't remember the rest of them there they threw us on every boat out there man yeah yeah i worked on the aztec the el dorado and the pacific out of queens did you yes you that about <laughs> yeah were you dead were you deckhanding i was decking yeah i never deadheaded I, I just started decking okay you know all my friends like greg vela you know he was a skipper yeah um you know i knew the ashley's from just just fishing yeah and uh just started decking what for... boat did you work on, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> my, the the boat my dad got me a twelve foot Sears aluminum John boat. <laughs> did you scrub the deck? <laughs> yeah, man, I did everything. It was used when I got it too. So yeah, I scrubbed everything. I thought that. Did you ever have to clean eight hundred sand bass on the on a three mile drive back into the dock. I'm about to say, Ken, you got off easy because you have no idea the crap that Carrie and I used to have to do, man. Those oh, I was long gosh. days, man. Long. Man, I was on a farm in South Carolina. I didn't. I did not have the bright lights of Huntington Beach. <laughs> you didn't have all the squid and anchovies on the deck, and like Terry's point, cleaning all the fish for all the ungrateful fishermen. Yeah, getting, I had a, to, getting a buck of fish. <laughs> yeah, I had to milk cows in the morning and in the evening. So I, I want, I give you guys no slack. I'm milking cows out there. You guys are fishing. I envy you. <laughs> uh, hey, Nathan, we got a good question from Racer Ryu. I don't even know how you say that. I know it's our buddy David Shong. Um, it's it's up there, uh, uh, not I far from Academic Mailbox, but uh, here it is. Terry, you got that one? Yeah, we've seen the swim bait be a part of a rotation, but do you guys think that we'll see another tour-level win 
where the big swim bait is the primary lure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think it still has, and I think especially with forward facing sonar, you might be able to get some of those fish uh, to react to that. If you, if you have the right bait and you're throwing it, you can maybe bypass their, 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 their wariness with the electronics. So I think that, yes, uh, I, I think that there's, there's, there's probably coming a big tournament win when they're done throwing all the little stuff and you can throw a big bait because it gives off a big signal when you throw it. I love throwing the thing on forward facing center because you can see it so easily and you can see the fish react to it. So I, yeah. I, I think there is that potential to do that. Yeah. Well, Milliken did cool. it this year at Toledo Bend. I mean, he weighed 34 pounds. Who did? Uh, that Ben Milliken okay. in the open. Yeah. And, and uh, he weighed 34 pounds. And I think every fish he caught that day was on the swim bait. So that's, that's going to happen. There's going to be a real big blowout, a big heavy weight. I, I just hope they don't catch 83 pounds, five ounces for three days. <laughs> It'll never happen. Yeah. I love that record. I, I love that record. Is still, after all those years, that record's still there. So I pray to God nobody goes out on a three day event and catches 83 and a half pounds or more. And folks, what, what Byron's talking about there is more than 20 for more than 20 years, he has had the BASS record for a three-day tournament, five fish limit at 83 pounds, five ounces, which is massive. I can't believe that's still very old, tough. Man. I cannot believe that record is still out there. I, I thought that record would be crushed a long time ago. People, yeah, folks, Byron's got some big records. Byron has Byron cuts a wide swath through his career in professional fishing. He didn't, he didn't stay out there as long as I wanted him to. He had some neck issues similar to what I have personally. And, uh, but, but this guy was killing it. Um, you know, we see a lot of guys out there who have had a lot of success on some of the big swim baits. Steve Kennedy, of course, notably in the elite series, uh, uh, Brandon Palnick throws a lot of big baits. Uh, who else out there is really talented that you know about? Man, I think most of the young guys now are. It's amazing. I, I, I mean, these young guys now, and I, I don't even know their names, but I mean, I know Zaldane, you know, and uh, and uh, yeah, Polinick, obviously. He, he, I think I told you the story. He used to come to all my seminars. You know, is that right? That Polinick, when he was young, he used to come. I mean, he was like everywhere you would go, you'd see him sitting in the audience, and he would come up, and he he was going to every pro's seminar, especially when he knew that was their specialty and taking notes. And of course, we're just divulging everything to the audience because we're in there in a room and questions and answers and just giving it all away. And, and it's, it's, it's well before internet stuff. And it's just authentic because it's coming from you after 20, 30 years of doing it. And I remember Polinick, you know, was like, I'm going to fish against you guys someday. He goes, I'm going to be on the tour someday. And I go, man, I hope to see you out there. And I remember like going to some of the shows and and meeting him and he'd, he'd come up after my seminar and ask me more questions, man, when he showed up on tour, thankfully I was still there. And it was really cool because he, everything I had ever talked about tuning swim baits, detuning swim baits, you know, little text, deep, deep fishing, shallow fishing, every little niche thing I knew I gave out at seminars. And I think he took notes on all of it. So that made him a darn good swim bait fisherman because he did that with everybody. I think he probably went to every seminar. If Aaron was talking about something, you know, that, 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 that he knew was Aaron's specialty, he's going to be at Aaron's seminar. I think we all saw Polinick hanging around this kid from Idaho, you know, and he's, but he's in Louisiana, he's in Mississippi, he's in Alabama, he's, he's bouncing around the country and he's, and he's taking in all this information. And he truly was a young student of the sport. That, I remember that clearly about Polinick. Sounds like he wasn't shy either. He was willing to go up and introduce himself. <laughs> 
I clearly remembered him before he ever fished against us, just saying, I'm going to be there someday. And that was super wow. cool for him to be there. And then I think when uh, Gunnersville, when he was fishing around me, when I got second and Skeet got first, so it was neat to share. You know, he comes in there, he's, he's hey, man. And it was, it was neat to have him. He, re- he, you know, he knew I was doing well in the tournament. He, leave me, he left me alone. He had, he's a really class hat guy. And, and he's a heck of a guy. He's just a heck of a fisherman. He doesn't get anywhere near you if he knows you're doing well. He doesn't poach your water. And he doesn't try to help you catch your fish. And, and, and he was, uh, he's just a good friend. That's wonderful. I remember when I was young and I could go to a, a tournament near where I was living as a kid, I could go to a tournament maybe on Lake Murray and I'd see all the guys I, I idolized in the magazines, guys like Clun and dance and Martin and Glebe. And, and there was not a force on this earth. that was going to make me walk up to those guys and introduce myself or ask for an autograph. I didn't have the guts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm the same way. I, I woke up to someone at ICAST if I don't know him today. <laughs> I mean, it just, well, I don't want to go bug him. You know, yes. It's probably a fault, but no, well, I'm obnoxious about that. Now. They're like, they, 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 they ask you questions, man. They come up, they want to know something. They want to say, hey, I heard this, I heard that, you know, and it's, it's, it's like passing the torch and sharing that information. I don't, I, I, I welcome those young anglers because because a lot of guys when I was young were giving me a really hard time. So I remember the old guard made it really hard for me when I was coming up, you know, and, and, and Aaron, too. And a lot of the guys, you know, it was really it, we were definitely it was like we were trying to steal money from those guys. You know, and they treated you. And I, I swore moving forward, if I was ever one of those guys, I wouldn't be like that. So uh, what happened was when when the young guys were talking to me at seminars, man, I encouraged them. I hope to see you there when I see them on the tour, man. Good luck. You know, welcome to the tour. Hope you do well. Let's talk about stuff. And I just don't want to be I didn't want to be a victim of what I was when I was young. We got any more questions? We got we got a lot of good questions in there. Nathan, yeah, can you just keep pop them in there when up. you have a chance. Here we go. All right. At Byron, uh, what modern big swim baits? get you excited to fish modern big swim baits i've been retired so long <laughs> what modern big swim baits are out there that's embarrassing because nowadays these guys come up and go hey what about this to that and i'm like man i don't even know what you're talking about because <laughs> i hung it up so long ago i'm not chasing i'm not buying tackle anymore i think i told you guys i'm selling everything <laughs> i'm downsizing so uh you know i i i i, I took the last thing I did with Livingston was I just made what I thought was a perfect glide bait. You know, that was something I did. And I, I took everything I knew at the time about all the great glide baits that were hyper expensive. I wanted great action. I like the sound technology, but I also used the true tungsten stuff in it. And, and so a lot of guys don't realize how good a bait that is, but for glide baits, you know, it's a much better bait than most people realize. And, and modern day swim baits, I'm just old school, man. I'm still throwing the bass tricks. You know, I still, you know, I, I, I got some of the, uh, what was the most recent ones for the U.S. Open that I just bought? The uh, Hazadon, the, you know, the Mega Bass Hazadons. You know, I'm yeah. not sponsored. You know, I don't mind talking about any bait that I get my hands on and trying them out. A lot of them, I don't like any more than a single joint bait. So all those double jointed, triple jointed baits, they don't look real to me. You know, I think mm-hmm. that a single bait glide bait, that's why with Livingston, I said, we're only going to do a single joint. You know, it's that one single glide. These things that go through the water looking like a snake, I'm going to do this. But, you know, that that's not what a fish swims like. So you get these triple joint baits, these double joint baits, and it's it, to me it looks like they have a broken spine. And I just don't – I think they, they catch more fishermen than they catch fish. And that's the problem with a lot of these swim baits. They, they do catch a lot of fishermen because they look so good in the water, but they don't look real in the water. They just look good in the water. But it, it, not, not in a 
fish natural good, more like a, hey, that's got a really weird slithery action. It's like a bass snake or a fish snake. And so, yeah. Let's get a plug in for your eBay um, store because uh, for, for everybody listening, uh, Byron's about to put a, a big bunch of stuff of his gear uh, on eBay for anybody to, to purchase. And this will be stuff, some of this stuff has actually been on the water used by Byron Velvick. All of this stuff is stuff Byron Velvick believes in. It's stuff that he acquired for a reason and has used, but maybe he doesn't have a particular use for it anymore. So Byron, what's your, how can they find your stuff? Well, don't forget, I'm sending you each a Bass Center hat because I got the loudmouth bass hats and the Bass Center hats. And then and I, I love a Bass Center hat. In Those particular. are new. I, dude, I'm sending you guys both loudmouth. I wish I, I actually told one guy bought a loudmouth bass on my on my site, and he wanted me to sign the Bass Center one. But then he said, "Is there any chance you can get Zona to sign the?" And I go, "If I see Zona, if we do a show together again, I'll have him sign because I got I got all these big giant boxes of of Bass Center and loudmouth bass hats." along with all my tackle but it's byron's bunker you know it's just byron's bunker on ebay and it's all one word byron's bunker and i'm not doing anything now because i i learned the hard way that when you do ebay during christmas you have to go stand in line to ship everything and the wow. line post oh, office yeah. awful and then you know and a lot of times if i miss something for christmas it's like man i'm gonna try to get it to you but i may not get it in time so i said you know i'm gonna wait till a fishing season starts i think january february i'm gonna start i'm getting it already now it's all sitting over there a lot of tackle. I just don't need it anymore. I got so much fishing tackle. It'll take me two or three years to sell it all. And I'm just going to sell Jeez. it. Yeah. I go to my house at the lake, the Amistad. I got the lake house in Del Rio and there's just boxes and boxes and boxes of my sponsors baits that they sent. And I'm not fishing professionally anymore. So I might as well sell it. You know, I'm not getting any younger. I'm not competing anymore. I'm not going to go back to competing. So I got some fantastic stuff, you know, and, and it's, it's all kinds of stuff, but I'm just going to put it all on Byron's bunker. Yeah. And I, I did a lot of it last year. I do it in waves and I definitely need to get it going as soon as Christmas quiets. Down. Byron's bunker. Byron's bunker. Check and it out. Folks. Each of you guys, a bass center, loudmouth bass hat for sure. I love it. Yeah, uh, I love that. Loudmouth bass, of course, That's not history, just man. Mark Zona, but also Jay Kumar. Um, yep. And, and that was kind of where Mark Zona kind of got discovered and, and the folks at, um, jm associates plucked him out of there and and he became uh kind of took over when when jerry mckinnis kind of stepped down and more or less retired but if you don't mind let's talk bass center for just a minute because that was supposed to be the the cornerstone of that bass fishing block on yep. espn beginning in uh like 2005 i think it started on on the first day of, of 2005 and it was it was you and and there was a NASCAR guy John who was John Kernan. Thank you. John Kernan who seemed like a super nice guy. John yep. John Kernan. He was the guy that knew television. So they had me as the analyst and they had him as the guy that could read the teleprompter. And he was Mr. TV. So you had to have the quarterback and you had to have the, the guy that you threw to. So Kernan was always throwing to me and they just wanted my analysis of everything. So I'm in the studio. But to your point, it was neat. ESPN owned fishing at the time they bought the tour so they own bass uh the story was they they never had a chance with nascar they basically televised nascar but they didn't own nascar and nascar got away from them and they at the time were going to do bass fishing by bass master own bass master promote bass master 
And so they let the na 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 na. The center was the only time they took that center and put it on something. There's never been soccer right. center, football center, baseball center, hockey center, but there was bass center. So in sports center and bass center, and that was uh, and yeah, we launched. It was January of either 2005 or 2006 because it was right. 2005. Was it five? Yeah. So it was yeah, directly it was... after the Bachelor, like right after the Bachelor. As I finished the Bachelor in the fall, and then of course they're like. Hey, there's the show we want you to th- we're thinking about doing. And uh, and so I went in there and, and funny enough, Zona and I knew each other. We talked all the time on the phone. We had never met each other till we were both in the studio together. And we were friends via phone talking to each other because he was this cool dude that had this really cool vibe about him up in Michigan. You know, a small mouth guy, fun to talk to on the phone. And we would share information. We just became friends before we ever met. And we met in the studio together in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where we filmed all the shows. And it was weird. Yeah. He, him and Jay Kumar were Loudmouth Bass and John Kerner and I were Bass Center. And Bass Center was this amazing show, just an amazing show that was part of the whole ESPN fishing block. It was a neat show. I really enjoyed it because you guys were covering some newsy stuff. I even got to appear on it a time or two about some weird issue or something. But but where where John Curran was a weird fit to me was while he was kind of a NASCAR guy and an expert, he didn't have any meaningful experience in the world of bass fishing. So quite often he would appear to be the the lay person who doesn't know anything, and you would spend a lot of time on the show explaining how something would work to him. And I thought maybe oh that that might be missing the audience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think about that? Did you feel like it was dumbing it down too much for the audience? You know, that's a great question, Ken. And, and, and of course, they do all these New York uh, polls with ESPN. And we were we originally we originally started. And this is something I missed completely. We originally started as being two. And the term they came out with was we were too tour centric. We were we were over the heads of most people watching Bass Center because we were so into the tournaments and so right. into the Evan Van Dam story and so into the competition that. Literally, they came back around after all the focus groups and all the, and they were looking at the swath of the whole audience, the big picture of the ratings. And they said, people want to know how to catch more fish. That's what people want from this show. They don't want us talking about a points race. This isn't, they don't want us talking about the, the hardcore. These people are watching it so they can learn. So Byron, your new job, this is during the show. They go, your new job with Bass Center is not to be talking so much about the tour and the competition that you're currently doing, but break down how these tournaments are being won. What is ta- what's the takeaway from the wacky wacky style cinco? What's the takeaway from the from the float and fly? You know, whatever it is that's that that wins that tournament. Now we're gonna have Byron go out on the water and do a little one minute, two minute vignette on what just won the tournament, and that resonated heavily with the whole audience. And that's where John Kernan was probably a good fit because he was the whole audience, if you will. Like there was a, there were those of us, Ken and Terry, that are deep in the trenches of the tour. So we are tour centric. And there is that microcosm of us that are really chasing the points race and really watching that drama of the, of the elite tour unfold. But, uh, but, but then a lot of the people watching on Saturday morning just wanted to catch more fish. And they said, how are the pros catching more fish than I am? So why doesn't, why doesn't Byron Velvet go out there and and do a, a a thing on what just won the last tournament? And it was really neat to get the feedback from people all around the country saying, "Hey, we just my son and I just won our local club tournament after your show last week, based on what you Very did." Nice. Thank you. That was so cool, right? Like the yeah. fans 
awesome. It's like Byron did a segment on this, and the next weekend we won the tournament doing what Byron did on Bass Center. And you're like, that is so cool. Because that was the neat part about the show. It was live every, well, taped live. So it was taped every single Friday night uh, for Saturday morning, you know, and, and, and it was put together on Friday night. So that Saturday morning you could watch it and it was it was very relevant to that exact time and that exact place. You could turn on the television, watch ESPN, and you knew what to fish next week. Yep. You are a natural. You are so good on camera, so good working with Kernan. It was it was a very smooth show, and I was disappointed that that whole bass block didn't make it. I mean, Bass Center lasted as long as any of them. Of course, the only thing that that ultimately survived was the show that had been on for decades before, the Bass Masters. But but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a nice effort. One place where I thought Bass really went wrong, though, was in thinking that that Bass and Bass was going to be a replacement for NASCAR. They're just such different animals, and I thought they messed up there. You know, their their interest in NASCAR, and and to your point earlier when you said they lost NASCAR, who who do they bring in to run Bass after they buy it? They bring in Dean Kessel, who came from the world of NASCAR. Who do they bring in to co-host Bass Center with you? But John Kernan, who had been a NASCAR announcer, and it yep. just seemed like a big commitment in the wrong direction to me. Yep. You know, it was and, and as soon as I, they, they got rid of the whole block when the when the people that were at the top all left. And it was when Shapiro and those guys left and they were our bosses, Quinzel and Shapiro and everybody. It was I got a phone call while I was fishing on the tour and they said the show's been canceled. All the shows were canceled at the same time. The new guy came in. He wanted no more fins and feathers on his network. We are a stick and ball network. We are going to stick and ball only. So no wow. more Saturday morning fins and feathers. That's all done. And that ended instantly. So suddenly we all Was lost. it making money or was it losing money? It was just a new a new regime came in. You know the deal with any business when a new regime comes in, they just want they they want to they want to upset everything. So he 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 wanted soccer instead. So instead they went to soccer. So when the whole fit the whole outdoor block went away, it went it, it they, they they signed on with the with the soccer deal. So I always joke about the fact that soccer took the whole the whole outdoor programming away from ESPN. That was my take on it because we all – I never even got to go back to the studio and say goodbye to everybody. I never had a final show. It was Damn. over a phone call. Like, we're going to send you all your stuff that's in the cubicle, but it's over just like that. I never saw John Kernan again after we did a show and thought we were going to do another show. I didn't go back for a goodbye show or a farewell show. You know, my Damn. producer, Jerry Goodman, you know, all the guys that were the editors, all my friends. I have, I, We used to go out and, you know, make the show and to go have dinner and have drinks and all that. I have not seen any of them since we did a show that was just, we thought was just another show. And suddenly the new guy came in and he just immediately canceled the whole block. I was shocked. I'd love to get your take and see if you agree with this statement, Byron. Um, a lot of people from that year, I was working in the communications department of BASS at that time. And so I was involved in a lot of ESPN meetings um, for no good reason, really. But uh, I never felt like ESPN, the Connecticut company, you know, in a Bristol, Connecticut, had much respect or regard for the sport of bass fishing. We were the redheaded uh, stepchild, man. I tell you that. Oh, we yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina. I never, ever, ever went to Connecticut. I never, I mean, I've, with all my time with ESPN, I never even got invited to go up to the mothership and see the mothership, you know, and, wow. and 
to that point. The mothership were, is impressive, my friend. It is impressive. I've never been to the mothership, you know, and, and I, I got my checks and everything from ESPN Disney, you know, and, and I would do these things in New York with ESPN, but I was like, when do we get to go? And, and they would laugh. We're like, no, this is like, these are the, this is all the mothership rejects down here doing this show. <laughs> and, like, I, and, and I know you had, what? You and I actually wound up in some of the same meetings together where we'd talk with some ESPN producer. And by the way, any producer or or videographer or somebody like that who was assigned to bass fishing had just been demoted. Fact. Pissed somebody off. Fact. Fact. These were great editors, great everything, you know that. And they were basically they were they were sent to the salt mines. And the salt mine was was Charlotte, North Carolina, doing college university. They had College U and they had uh, the, the the fishing shows there. So those were the two shows that were going on. And we had all the college guys, you know, the college university guys going, uh, filming down there. But those were the two things that were filming in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Anybody Damn. assigned to bass fishing was in, in television, Siberia. And, and you sit in these meetings with these people who didn't, who wouldn't be able to identify a bass in a lineup with a giraffe and a porcupine. Right. Um, and you'd have the most, I remember distinctly one time trying to explain culling to somebody and, and they, they asked this question about shore lunch. What? What if they want to keep a fish for a shore lunch? <laughs> and, and at the time I think I joked, well, maybe talk a hero. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that would be it. Do you remember that? I mean, just oh the Bassmaster Classic, and they wanted to do a thing on they, they, they to your point, Ken. Maybe it's the same exact thing, but I think we were doing a Bassmaster Classic somewhere, and laughingly, they wanted to do a thing with Kevin cooking fish, like it was a Kevin Van Dam, and it was going to be a cooking with Kevin and you know your bass fillet, and 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 and, and they're like, and we're like, whoa, 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 no, no, this is going the wrong direction, and I, I and I remember us going. Stop it. Wait a minute. There's some powers that be ESPN days. These are the ESPN days. And they wanted to do a, a, a not just catch and release, but a catch and cooking segment of the Bassmaster Classic. And you're like, you can't cross that line. You can't. Yeah, that's you not can't, you're, you're, you know, imagine that back there. You know, I, I take those fish with my daughter and then I immediately go to the fillet station and fillet them up. It's like, come right. on. Yeah. We're going to eat them I, I caught this one on a spinnerbait. He's going to eat good. <laughs> <laughs> oh so bad it was so bad i clearly remember that conversation i had forgotten until you brought it up ken but i remember that being a a laughably bad idea from somebody at espn laughably bad amazingly oh bad and, and and that's one of the things and i want i want to be fair to espn but but one of the things that pissed me off about espn's ownership of bass was they didn't respect the sport and 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 other evidence of that was when it came time to do a big event like the Bassmaster Classic, instead of identifying some people who were true subject matter experts, who they were employing at BASS or who they were uh, promoting their career through the tournament trail, they would bring in Mark May, who was a three-time pro bowler from the Washington Redskins or yep. something like that, rather than anybody who actually had caught a fish or, or knew anything about the personalities involved. And that was maddening to me. Yeah, that pissed me off. But I will say this about him. You know, Terry asked earlier if uh, the Bass Block of television shows was making money. ESPN was losing millions of dollars every year on BASS. Millions every year. Their problem was not that they weren't 
dedicating the resources. A lot of people were saying publicly, and Byron, I'm sure you remember this. A lot of fans are saying, "Oh, ESPN's not not putting the investment in." They were absolutely investing, but they were investing really stupidly, mm-hmm. and and they were trying to make it NASCAR, and it's not that. Right. Yep. That's always been my take on it. Um, yeah. And they never embraced the company BASS. Uh, there was a very much a, an us them thing between the the folks in Bristol who were you know the clean decent right thinking people and and the unclean in Montgomery Alabama or Celebration of Florida. Right. Yeah. It was it was it was an interesting time. I mean, it was it was great to be on ESPN. It was great to do this show. I made a lot of friends. I had an amazing experience. You know, now I got some hats to remind me of it. <laughs> it's funny we got on. <laughs> You know, I got a bunch of hats to remind me of my days out there, but it was, it was, uh, it was, it was really neat to go into that experience and be to go off of that reality show and go right back into what you love passionately and be on television. It was nice to be able to talk passionately about what you love and not be, you know, not be in another world of television. It was, it was authentic for me to get right back into fishing after that, after that, that rose ceremony. <laughs> Terry, have I taken the show far enough away from Big Bass now? My God, we have, oh, haven't right. we? We've yeah. all, Sorry about no that, guys. Left. There's no oxygen left. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's no. Well, I I think the the old ESPN days are are interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, we need to talk about some big fish, and we've got we do people that have been asking questions that you know, Natty. Where Nathan, are what you? Do we got all right. This is Brown Bait Company. Byron, has your confidence in big bait selection changed much in the recent years? compared to what it was a decade or two ago. Is that, I wonder if that's Butch Brown. Brown no, that's, that's no. Brendan Brown. Brendan, Brendan Brown. Brown. He's a, he's a six year old kid out of uh, South Carolina. <laughs> he's um, an 18 or 19 year old young man who makes fabulous swim baits. Phenomenal swim baits. I got that's one here really? somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he really does. One, show me one, Terry. Show him the packaging too, Terry. Well, here's, here's his packaging. I don't know. You know, he must deal drugs or something on the side, but it oh, comes in nice, a really nice, nice Terry. Nice way to introduce a young man. Good job, there, really Terry. nice box. Uh, and that is oh, how cool! There you go, bluegill wake bait. Oh, I love it. And, and sh- show him the interior of the box, if you would, Byron. This is cool. So, so Brendan Brown carves those he- baits. And then packages them in the shavings that were oh. part of the block of wood. Oh, is that cool? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love that packaging. Then he's got then he's got stickers. Nice. Yeah, he's pretty he's sharp. A, he's a, a real kid. talent. And he's eighteen. Yeah, eighteen or nineteen. That's yeah. super yeah. cool, man. That's a good looking bait, and that's awesome. That he's carving them out of wood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's cool a good stuff. kid. His parents, his parents might be proud of him at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen a real metamorphosis and to answer his question, you know, the swim base of the finishes are so much better. Well, hell look at the one he has. I mean, that's a perfect example right there. The finishes, what they were, they were, they were pretty prehistoric, you know, a decade or two ago. And Terry, you know that as well as I do that I was <laughs> yeah. pulling those things out and you know, they, they, they didn't run very straight. They, they didn't work very straight. Yeah. We can, we can break out our, our old ones like we did in the last show and be like laughing about the prehistoric baits we got, but they have changed dramatically. The finishes, the actions, I, 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 you know, obviously the hooks, the, 
you know, adding more elements to it now for a higher hookup ratio, you know, even simple things like doing a double split ring. So you get more than a, of a 360 rotation. All of this stuff has really advanced. There you go. AC, Alan Cole, baby. This is actually a Z plug. Oh, is it? It looks like Alan Cole. Oh, yeah, well, so Greg everybody Schultz was copying Alan back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But, we had, uh, we had yeah, Alan I mean, on our show not long ago. It was... Uh, he was terrific. You know, I mean, this is state-of-the-art paint back then, and it, yeah. it looks like crap compared That's, to the stuff that... To his <laughs> point right there, the finishes we have on those old baits are are, are comical. And, you know, and, and I got a lot of the old True Tungstens I got and all that stuff from back in the day, they're, they're, they're molded really bad really bad you know finished finished baits and so yes it's it's changed a lot and 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 for the better all the all the finishes look better the actions are better the technology is better i think the you know some guys have a a, a hook that i mean this is just from a, a practical standpoint you know having either a hook that's going to swivel within the body or like i said the double split ring just things that make it a more effective swim bait uh it's it's all it's through the Necessity is the mother invention, and truly, in in swim baits, if people realized there was a necessity to change things from what we, Terry, you and I have a bumper crop full of now, which are just antiques. You know, antique swim baits yeah. that are cool for display, but I wouldn't throw them anymore. You know, I wouldn't throw them because they're just antiquated. You talk, the, uh, you, you talk about the you talk about the the split ring, double split rings to help in the rotation and not give a, the bass extra leverage did you ever get into those um uh braided line uh in in the place of a split ring did you, you know I actually, that I actually you googled youtube that because i was i was i'm struggling with the, i like throwing spy baits but but that's a low percentage bait so that was something i was throwing at the u.s open uh, it was a spy bait sometimes and 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 that is again those fish smallmouth especially throw that bait a lot so a friend of mine uh, Rod Lee suggested that I start using uh, to that point braided split rings for the same exact reason, Ken, uh, you know, and, and, and tying a blade, braided split ring, just like a double split ring or having a bait, you know, the, the hard, a lot of the hard baits have a rotating, a rotating hook in the body yeah. of the bait. But that's, that's, that's another great one, Ken. And, and, and funny you mention it because just for this year's U.S. Open, I was tying those braided split rings. Did you... Did you have enough experience with them now to know whether you like them, don't like them? It's a lot of trouble, it seems. It's a lot. It's pretty hard to tie. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating yeah. to tie them. So it's a lot of work. I haven't had enough experience to see if they're effective. Now, I haven't been on such a good bike where I can see if it made a big difference yet. Gotcha. Good. Not sure Nathan, we got any more any more good questions out there? I I know we're loading up on questions. Hey, stop! My dogs are fighting over here. Oh, I got to break up the dog. Stop. Aaron Smith. What makes you love swim bait fishing versus other techniques? Oh, man. I think it's because I was doing it when nobody was, for starters. So I shouldn't say no one, but I was at a very, it was a small group of us that were doing it. Yeah. And, and it's, man, when you fool a fish to eat those big baits, that strike is so vicious. And, 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 and the bite is usually so hard. And it's, it's, it's addictive. Because it's such a hard thug. When those fish really want to kill that bait, they knock the rod out of your hand. And for a bass to hit a bait that hard, and it's and it's it takes a lot to throw them, which I like. You don't get a lot of bites at them. I, I like knowing that I have this cadence that that I can comfortably throw it and and fish it around people that aren't catching them. So I feel like you 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 can master it. 
you know, and, and, and I like fishing other things. Don't get me wrong. I love fishing all these other, all these other things and, and catching fish on other techniques, but there's something to be, that, the, if I could just, you know, when I go out of a tournament, a lot of these tournaments down here are like a, a three fish tournament or a one day tournament, man, if you just get two or three bites on that swim bait, you're going to probably win, you know? And so you're like, I could go out and throw a jig and I can go out and throw a crankbait and I can go out and catch a limit like everybody else. And I can maybe hope for a three pounder or a four pounder or do a lot of culling, or I could go out and throw that swim bait and mix it up with other things. I mean, make sure I catch two, three, four fish, you know, but especially here in Texas, they have these three fish tournaments. I'm like, man, if, if, if there's even a remote chance of a swim bait bite, I might just yeah. need two to win. I just need two bites the whole day to win that tournament versus in a three fish tournament. You, you go out and you catch three two-pounders, you know, you got six pounds. Congratulations. Everybody else has six pounds. <laughs> you know, I go out and get two bites. I have 12 pounds. <laughs> yeah. you know, I win with two bites. So that's where I think I'm I'm almost calling through a lot of small fish with the swim bait. And that's without what, having to call. Without having to call. I'm calling through a lot of swim. Yeah, exactly. I'm calling through a lot of fish without having to call, and I'm not getting caught up in going up by ounces and getting an oh an extra quarter pound you know to my bag i just want to get three big bites and knock it out of the park and and it's it's a home run hitter thing man it really is but i love it and i and i and i feel like i'm very good at it from because i've been doing it for so long and 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 i can do it all day long and i get sore my muscles even though i'm close to 60 i can still go through a swim all day long and you know when i go get massages they're doing they're like Man, you got some really weird muscle thing going on in your back. I'm like laughing because I know my shoulders and my back and my neck are all jacked from 30 years of swimming fishing. It's got weird bumps. In it. I got weird bumps back there like Quasimodo where I've, I've, I've built muscles back there that have me almost hunched over in bad posture because I've thrown so many big baits for so long. But I don't get tired throwing them. I don't get tired throwing swim baits. For a guy who's relatively new to the big swim bait approach, how do you get over that hurdle? You know, everybody talks about you got to stick with it. You got to stick with it, throw it all day, that kind of thing, especially if you're targeting big fish. How do you get over that mental hurdle to, to put yourself in the right frame of mind? You know, I have that question asked a lot in seminars, and I always tell people the best thing you can do is go out and throw it at the prime times, which is not the crack of dawn early, but most, but mostly in the early mornings and the afternoons, you know, and especially in the later afternoons, because the bite really gets good a lot of times when we're usually weighing in, especially a swim bait bite, you know, and, and I can tell you that I, 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 I usually put a swim bait down around 10 o'clock and pick it back up. I think we talked about that the last show. Yeah, we did. You told us you a know, great story about Kevin Van Dam not having the right idea about timing. Overcast. He was remember Kevin. Yeah, Van that's right. That's overcast right. at Amistad. He goes, they're going to kill that swim bait today. And I'm like, I didn't want to tell Kevin Van Dam he doesn't have any experience in this matter. <laughs> Kevin, I love you. And they are not going to eat that bait today. <laughs> and I'm a swim bait guy. So you go knock him out, Kevin. Let me know how that works for you. <laughs> so yes, overcast. Do not go throw it. I mean, just don't throw it. It's it's a visual bait. It's a sun bait. You know, have the right water clarity. Know the optimum conditions and 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 uh and, and you got to just work on it, you know, as far as now you could just be online looking at all the information. I, I probably should do some stuff on swim baits, you know, out there on, online, just authentic and genuine from everything I know, because there's a lot of misinformation. Unfortunately, I see a lot of stuff on there and I'm like, man, that's not accurate or right. You know, and I, I, I wouldn't, I, all my years of doing that, I wouldn't do what that person's saying, you know, maybe it works for them here or there, but you know, the bandwidth of time that I've been doing it, I, 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 uh, I can tell you, there's those key things. 
And I think if we, they watch the last show, they really get a feel for, you know, the, the, the right time to throw it, the right water clarity, you know, the right sun conditions, all that stuff. Now, last time you shared with us your, your combo for throwing the big baits and stuff like that. If you're uh, if you're an angler who's who's very fortunate, and I realize you're using a lot of gear you've been you've just been comfortable with using it for years because you're you're dialed in with it. But if you were to put together a kind of a money is no object uh, rod reel line for throwing some of the bigger stuff, the multi ounce stuff, what would you be looking at? Um, well, from a rod standpoint, you know, I, I, I uh, I'm, Trica is coming out with a swim bait rod. But I again, I, I, I told Trica, I said, we can't do a swim bait rod because there's three inch swim baits and there's 13 inch swim baits. So we got to have three of them. You know, and we got to have them that match that size. And, and and years ago, Terry Rogue Rods. Remember yes. last he he ran off and right got over it. there. <laughs> there it is. He's got it out this time. It's his favorite rod, but he had to dig deep to find it. So I was at the bottom of my freaking broad locker. <laughs> we Jeez. were so much grief about that. But uh, <laughs> but Rogue did this, and, and and it's a three bait rod series. So you have three rods that cover the whole scope of swim baits from very small or smaller up to very, very large. And the complement them. Uh, as far as reels go, um, I'm, I'm always looking for a, a really good quality reel with a big spool that carries with a six, three to one gear ratio can, you know, and, and again, it's the, 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 the great reels that you can, you know, pick up, you know, now there's a whole bunch of them out there. You know, I, I try developing ones. So again, I'm excited about everything Trico's doing. Yep. But look, Let's talk about spool size because everybody that I talk to tells me, oh, you don't need a 300 size reel or a 400 size reel. Bull crap, you do. You mm -hmm. can't use a 150, maybe a 200 with a, you know, a swim bait that I don't even consider a swim bait. It's a sassy chad. Right. Um, you know, but if you're throwing a, a, a six inch Huddleston or a, a bigger, a 300 size reel or bigger is really better. Can you tell people why? I, I agree with that because that spool is so much, the, the line you're using is, you know, the heavy line you're using and that's that line coming off that spool and that big, that big reel complements it so much more and it allows that big line to, to peel off better. You're not going to get the backlashes. You're not going to cut your line. You know, you're, you're usually using a monofilament or a fluorocarbon. I don't like to use braid. I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the big mono because it's so abrasion resistant. And monofilament and big, heavy 20, 25 pound fluoro, to your point, Terry, you got to, you, you, and this is going back to our saltwater days. You know, that's, yeah. that it's such an easier reel to cast and, 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 and control that big spool. The diameter, and when you're making the cast, the diameter of the spool doesn't change right. as much as if you have a small diameter spool. And that's what people don't realize is that. As you make that cast with a small diameter spool, that spool can go down half to half of its diameter. Right. And now your gear ratio has changed. Your gear ratio has totally changed. You or inches per turn of the handle has completely changed. Exactly. Exactly. And that's another thing they don't know is that you, you, when you empty a spool, you don't have the exact same. You don't have anywhere near the gear, gear ratio you had when, you were, when, when it was full. And those little mm -hmm. narrow spools do that. So that big spool, everything stays balanced. And to your point, Terry, it's just better to have a balanced. And Ken, like you said, these are the bigger baits. But the bigger baits require that beefier reel. And, and, and they, there's several out there. Are, are, would your go-to be a 300 size or a 400 size? For, 300. For some of the, for a, 
300 okay and that seems to be you know it wasn't that many years ago i, I don't remember 300 size reels mm-hmm. you know there was a 200 there was a 400 yeah. and and there weren't a what lot about of you reels. Barry? are you 300 or 400 i mean what would you go with i have both i mean i have i have old shimano conquest that i got from japan back in 2001 2002 2003 uh and then i have uh three conquest 400s okay so I mean, I use both of them. If I'm throwing a 12 inch swim bit, I'm using a 400. Yeah. You know, yeah. But just like you said, it, it goes back to throwing iron on the boats. Right. It just, it's, it's almost the size of a squitter, right? I right. mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the old squitters. So, and, and, and that's, that's, that, that, that's key. The heavy line is key. The bait, uh, the rod needs to complement that. You don't want too stiff of a rod. A broomstick is not the way to go. When I was at ICAST this year, I was looking at some of the, new swim bait sticks that came out and they're just they're just broomsticks you know they're, they're, they don't have that you got to have that give because you still that fish is going to hit it so hard you need to have that shock absorber element to it and there's a fine line between that and so you don't just make a big heavy rod 7 11 8 foot and say there's our swim bait rod that's not how it works and you've seen that terry so many of these swim bait rods are are poor i mean they're great quality products but the action is just useless. It, it, it puts too much strain on you when you're, it doesn't even load up when you cast it. It probably wears you out throwing it because it's such a stiff, heavy rod. And it, there, there's, there's something to be said about having a, a rod that matches it because it makes you able to fish the bait longer. Yep. And make a longer cast. True. And, and, and most importantly, absorb the strike. You know, right. have a high hookup ratio. You remember the old day with the old lipless crankbaits? There was always a dance to find the perfect sw- the, the rattle trap rod. You know, the perfect glass rod, whatever glass rod or whatever rod you could throw that would that would be able to be just your perfect lipless crankbait rod. And every, and swimbaits are so much like that on a on a much more uh, bigger scale. Yep. So we got another question from uh, Jacob Collins. What type and or style of swimbait would you recommend? Throwing in 45 degree water. <laughs> An ice jig. <laughs> there you go. Now you're talking. Yeah. Uh, that, that's dig a hole. That for me, that's dig a hole. I, I I have a hard time, you know, throwing a swim bait in cold, 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 cold water because I just it becomes that, that's that's when jerk baits are great. You know, that's when it, uh, something that's just almost static and sitting still. You know, and, and I don't know. I haven't had that much experience fishing 45 degree water with a swim bait. And, and normally I won't. I remember when it gets when it gets below 56, 55, you know, I'm like, okay, it's 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 the bait has to probably be a lot slower. And and it would it would have to be a glide bait, maybe a suspended. If if I had a fish one, if someone said you're gonna throw that, it'd be a suspending glide bait. But it would really, really slow because again, that's where the suspending jerk bait, I you know, the power of that cold water is the pause. You know, and the bait just kind of sits there and hovers. And you know the old days when you're throwing jerkbait, it just sits there, slow sinking or suspending. And again, I, I, if I was going to do it with a, a swim bait, it would be it would be a, a smaller glide bait, and it would, you know, have that pause element to it. I realize that there are adjustments that you're making throughout the day, anytime you're on the water, Byron. But what would be kind of your default glide bait retrieve? on a day like a lot of us might encounter today where the water temperature is still in the high fifties, maybe. And, uh, it's a nice sunny day. You got plenty of water clarity. You got four or five feet of water clarity. Is there, is there a, a default retrieve for Byron Velvet? 
Yeah, and it's usually usually I I, I air in those conditions right there. Ken, slower is better, and I like to slow it down. I like to get that big wide wobble to it. I mean, the big wide uh, you know big wide turns to it. And, and again, I'll, I'll weight the thing. The, the the Livingston one has a weight system built into it. So like the old the old uh, true tungsten days, where you can pull yeah. the pin and you can change the weight. So yeah. You can change the weight of a Livingston glide bait internally so that you can make it match that water temperature so it will suspend. Some of the, mm -hmm. my friends are using the Livingstons and they're putting tungsten in them. So they're taking the lead ball. It comes with lead balls in it, but you just pull the pin, take the lead balls out, stick tungsten in there, and now the thing will actually sink or suspend way better depending on how many balls you have in there. And, and, and it's nice to have a bait, I mean, a, a, a glide bait, where I can adjust that weight for that exact situation. So it's not floating real high, it's not sinking real fast, but it's it, it it's complementing that water temperature. And that buoyancy changes with degree of temperature, as you know. So mm -hmm. if that water is 48 degrees versus 54 degrees, there's a difference in the shift of weight you have to put in it. You know, sure. a lot of people, they say suspending, like, well, suspending at 65 what, and suspending at, at what 50, temperature? totally different. You can't have a, the bait ain't going to suspend at 65 and 50. If it's 50, right. it's going to sink like a rock or it's, but it's, 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 so you have to dance with that. And Ken, to that point in those colder days, I want that glide bait to, I want to reel it real slow. I want to feel that thump in the rod. I want to feel that, that action going back and forth, that single joint going back and forth. But if I pause it or I have it turn around on itself, you know, a lot of everybody gets a kick out of turning it around, doing the crazy Ivan. Remember I told you about that crazy <laughs> Ivan from the, uh, from the movie where that submarine turns around on itself to see if there's somebody following it. Well, when I pop that glide bait and it turns back around and looks back at the fish that's following it, I don't want it to float up real fast or sink real fast, or maybe I do want it to sink a little bit, but I want it to be a very, very neutral buoyancy balance. And that comes with me adding, adding or subtracting weight, which I do on the Livingston. That old true tungsten uh, bluegill glide bait that they made, which was, I don't know, one of the early, yeah, one of the early uh, uh, bluegill style glide baits I remember. And it had, as you say, you remove the pin that held the two, uh, the two pieces together, and you could get at the little weighted balls. If you took them all out, it stayed on the surface. And if you, right. if you went with a maximum of three, it would sink pretty quick. Was that a was that a bait that you had a hand in designing, or was that a bait that you really liked a lot? Because I've still got four or five of them. Yeah, I was sponsored by True Tungsten, and, and, yeah. and so I was sponsored with them at that time, and we talked about all that. So when, when Livingston said, make the perfect uh, swim bait, that was one of the factors. I said, we need to bring that back. We need to bring that exact thing back, because I thought that was brilliant. You know, I thought it was yeah. a great, because I, I, it's a durable bait, but what? how many baits can you change the weight on, you know? And so, yeah. so with, right. with True Tungsten, I was sponsored by them at that time. I was there, I was there, Newman, Matt Newman and I, you know, and yeah. it, we were all together on that, and, uh, and and so we were we were the swim bait guys for True Tungsten, and 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 when they went out of business, I thought that was that bait you're talking about in tilapia pattern in Amistad was a killer. I mean, an absolute killer it was that perch body, and I I got them in the eBay room right over there. I can go grab one, but I I, 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 I have the exact same thing. I have the True Tungsten baits, and the long one, the big mullet looking one. You know, the, they had a lot elongated, like an eight inch one. And they had the, the, the bluegill crappie tilapia body one. And uh, yeah, right. all of them had the pin that removed and the weight you would change, just like the, the new Livingston glide baits. Uh, what an innovative company. Uh, and it's a shame they couldn't make it. They had a lot of they had a lot of internal problems, let's say. And uh, and they didn't make it, unfortunately. We all, wow. But we all, yeah, we all. 
those of us who uh who uh, work with those guys <laughs> party town party usa oh yeah uh, jim flandro one of the they were making put it that way yeah they they, they knew how to enjoy themselves um they did but yeah they, they were the first company to come out with the tungsten sinkers that i can remember and, and those things yeah. were just revolutionary most of the tungsten stinkers I have to this day are true tungsten. They're still true. That tungsten. I got 20 years ago. Yep. Um, hey, don't sell those on eBay. Byron's bunker could use those. I'll, I can be the next Brody of the Lake. Brody's I need them too. I do. I got to do. I got Brody and I are friends, but I, I got to go out there and say, Brody, I'm going to start selling all of Ken Duke's stuff because Ken Duke, <laughs> he have massive amounts of stuff they need to sell, just like I do. I, I, I got some stuff. Oh my I got God. some stuff. Oh, much money is out he barely walked through his garage because he's got so much crap in there yeah i got some, I got some junk. Thing on byron's bunker what i love about having an ebay store is that i put something on there and somebody pops up and says oh my god where did you get that and it's still new <laughs> you know like i got the two tungsten frogs and i got a guy going dude that's the greatest freaking frog in the world the true tungsten frog and i'm like you know mad max i got him over there it's called the mad mm -hmm. max frog you know and they're like and guys are like Dude, I, I love that frog. I'll take all that you got. Like, how many more of those do you got? I get that all the time when I list something, and they're like, how do you still have those new in a package? Like, what tackle store did you find? And I'm like, no, they're in my garage. You know, I just got boxes of this stuff. And they're like, how many more? Because I'll just take them all right now. You know, the man's uh, minus ones. The man's. Oh, yeah. oh I got, oh, I had all, I, I was with man's. I had a whole bunch of man's minus ones. They're like, oh, my gosh, the minus ones are the loud mouth. I put the loudmouth out there and the man's loudmouth baits. And the guy goes, I catch all my fish on these baits. They don't make them anymore. I, I miss them. Can you send me all that you got? I'll just corner the market on them. Shoot me a price. And that's really man's, cool. Man's is actually becoming a collector's item now. Really? Oh, yeah. So there's guys that that's all they do is concentrate on their minus series baits. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so and I got you might want to. I had so many of those to sell. I probably got a whole bunch more at the lake house. So what I do is whenever I go to the lake house, I, I go in the garage and I find these boxes. I go, oh, that'd be good to sell. And I bring it back here and I'll put it on eBay. And it's just, it's neat to talk to the people because they get a kick out of telling you how, what, when you start a rapport with the people that are the customers at eBay because yeah. they're about these old baits, just like we are, you know, mm -hmm. and, and hopefully forward facing sonar doesn't kill all that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid of suddenly no one's fishing that stuff anymore, but it's so cool. Uh, it's gonna, you know, as much as I think forward-facing sonar is changing the game at the at the highest competitive level, I, I don't want us to, I don't want us or the angling public generally to overestimate the number of those units that are actually in the marketplace. Everybody does not have it. Only a small percentage of the angling public has that stuff. And yeah, you're going to see them if you go to the U.S. Open or if you're on the Elite Series or on the Bass Pro Tour. But but by and large, you're not running into that many people who have it out yeah. there. That'll change as the technology gets better and the prices come down. But right now, yeah, it's uh, I don't I hope forward facing doesn't change things that much because I'm I'm with you guys that that I don't want it to take away the mystique of of fishing and and of a a great cast and the tight cover well what's, what's killing, what's under killing zona, i talked to zona about it and what's killing it is the viewership it's boring to watch fishing tournaments anymore and i, I hear that all the time on the chat rooms but it's true that i don't get to watch gene Rojas or fred rabanis way up the river throwing a frog anymore 
You know, I don't yeah. get to watch, I don't get to see the excitement of, of the camera guys zeroing in on somebody that's, you know, still fishing, hoping to get a bite, you know, and, and them talking to the camera guy and the camera and the guy are looking at them. You know, when I was at uh, Kentucky Lake, throwing that Carolina rig out there and, and, and I was in the top 10, it was like every time I got bit, I'd, I'd, I'd pull the rod right towards the camera guy and I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd have the rod right at him and I'd go, I go, are you ready? And he kind of nod his head and I'd reel down. I'd set the hook. I mean, that was so much fun. And the camera guy goes, this is awesome television. Like yeah. you're, 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 you're out there on those, on those shell beds and you're taking the rod and you're pointing it right at the camera guy. Cause he's in the back of the boat and you just dial it in. You point it right at him. You go, they go, see that. And the rod goes like that. And he's, I go, here we go. And all of a sudden real daddy go whack and there's like another five or six or seven pounder and the guy the camera guy's high five and he goes dude we're making great tv those days <laughs> anymore man that's they know that was those are my memories of making great television because if you get a if you have a big personality and you can and you have a great bike going on you got a camera guy in the boat man make some awesome tv and that's not happening with forward facing sooner i watched all the terms before the u.s open because i was trying to learn and i i could see what zona said it's 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 horrible for for viewership just horrible for viewership yeah that that's a great yeah, they, point they, you make go they ahead Terry. figure Sorry. out a way to get the screen on the tv well they were doing you know, that okay so they're doing they're working that on that some of the guys not a lot of guys are too secretive but some of the guys on the elite tour were and i have it on mine where the screen's on the back you know and, and they didn't tell the us open but my co-angler i could tell my guy fishing with me that i go hey look you know you can see you can see the video game going on you know, but it, it's not nearly as exciting as to that point watching watching a bunch of guys get bit on frogs or flipping or pitching or you know the the, the tools water. exploding, the grass is exploding. They set the hook and a nine pounder comes out of a clump of toolies and grass and wood. You know that's great television, man. That's that's just ooh. I mean, that was awesome to see it. Yeah, and right there in your home state, Byron of Texas, uh, you got you got guys like Josh Jones who have been wildly successful at catching big fish at places like Fork or OH Ivy. And they're 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 charging top dollar for their guide clients, sometimes more than a thousand bucks a day or fifteen hundred bucks a day. And they're making six or eight casts a day. Yep. Yep. That's mind blowing to me. That's five years nobody's gonna be able to cast anymore. Yep. Yeah. At least accurately. Accurately. You know? Accurate casting is gonna be out the door. You know, and again it's it's I hope Rick's right, and I hope these fish quickly get desensitized or or wise up to it. I I, I hope that they're that it's because it's going to become less and less effective. That's all you can really hope for is that it's not the monster that it is now. When the Alabama rig first came out, it was unbelievable, you know, and it slowly got harder and harder to catch them on an Alabama rig. It's just another bait now, but it wasn't the oh my gosh and the swimmates too. You know, when I was throwing swimmates in the early days, like I told you guys last time, they'll eat them off the side of your boat. You know, they'll come up and they'll chase it to the boat and they'll literally hit your boat to eat the swim bait. You know, those days are gone too. So they've wised up to the swim bait. They've wised up to the Alabama rig. I hope they also wise up to the electronics, you know, and 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 and, and they the, the forward-facing sonar, it, it, it's still going to be a tool. It's going to help you see stuff, but it's not going to be the the monster that it is right now. You know, and, and that's where Rick's, like said, it's, it's probably too early. You know, I don't think it's going to decimate all the fisheries. I don't think, you know, there's some people on the Internet that are saying it's killing all the fisheries. It's just destroying everything. It's, the, you know, it's 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 the scourge. And, and, and I think the fish are probably a, a little more advanced than that. I think that they're they're going to be they're going to be wise to it. I, at least I hope. 
One of my favorite questions since the uh, the serious development of forward-facing sonar, Byron, how many times would we would we have broken the world record in California if there had been forward-facing sonar in the in the 80s and 90s? Oh my gosh! Oh wow, that's a great question, and it's so true. Wow. If we had if you had the swim baits that we had and forward-facing oh. sonar, holy crap! Oh yeah, would have been down on those little ponds, those little lakes in San Diego and little Southern California lakes where those giants were at that that F1. Yeah. That F1 Florida strain bass that was just monstrous, growing to insane numbers, 23, 24, 25 pounds. You know, gone right. now. But but that 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 first hatchling of those big giant Florida strains that were down there. And you know, when I went out here to Bernie Lake, it was my buddy Clendon, you know, and 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 he was teaching me, trying to show me about forward facing sonar before the US Open. And he's like, dude, look at that catfish, you know, and they got giant catfish in there. And he goes, that's the biggest fish I've ever seen on forward-facing sonar. And there's this four or five-foot catfish down there in these rocks. And it looked like the Loch Ness Monster. You know, and he's like, look at that. And he kept saying, look at that. And, I, and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm looking at. And he goes, that is one single giant big fish. That's just a, that's a four-foot catfish down there. You know, we're looking at it together. But Clendon's like, dude, that's the biggest fish I've ever seen. And it was right here on the lake, right by my house here, where, that's known for having giant trolling motor-only lake. And there's these giant catfish down there. And I'm like, how cool is it if I would have just had a big chunk of liver or chicken, I could have just pitched it at that four-foot glob. And we're following it around. There's a four-foot glob out there. And we didn't have a big liver chicken wing, you know, and put it on a hook and pitch out there and just watch that four-foot, five-foot glob eat that chicken wing. To your point, it would have been like catching the world record bass. I could have caught a mass. That's very cool. Yeah, that would have, I want to go back, you know, and do that again because it's like I'll just go chase giant four foot Loch Ness monster looking things around out there on it. Here, here in Florida, the, a lot of the guys in forward facing get a kick out of spotting an alligator. Oh yeah. my gosh! I never <laughs> yes, yes, that'd be cool. That's got to be crazy. Yeah, uh, it, it's pretty funny. It's yeah. actually pretty funny, and it, which which brings me to uh, a weird story. That I'll just tell it only because I think it's funny. I was out with Justin Hamner, who's an elite series pro, qualified for the 2024 Classic, I think. Justin Hamner is a really great young man. Thoroughly enjoyed my time with him. I got in the boat with him, and he knew I had been with BASS years earlier. And all he wanted to do was listen to me tell stories about Aaron Martins and Byron Velvick and Skeet Reese and all these guys he admired coming up. And so I, I'm telling stories and stuff like that. But meanwhile, he's throwing a spook. And, and and looking at the fish underneath his for underneath his spook using his forward facing sonar. Wow! Holy crap! And we're fishing along. He's catching some fish. We're fishing along, and I see a, an alligator coming toward his bait. It's not a huge alligator. It's a six or seven foot alligator. This is this is at Gross Savant in Louisiana, which if you've never been there, I highly recommend it. Um, so he's fishing the spook, and there's this alligator swimming over to his bait. You know, very leisurely because it's a little bait and it's just walking along slowly. And I'm thinking, should I tell him there's an alligator stalking his bait? No. Wait, is he looking at four he's, of his sonar, so he's not seeing it? Yeah. He's, he's not seeing. He doesn't see his bait. He's looking at the screen, and he's knowing what his bait's doing because, you know, he's just a spook for 100 miles, even though he's a young guy. And and the alligator just <laughs> – I'm thinking, I'm not going to tell him there's an alligator. Surely he knows there's an alligator. The alligator just swam right over and grabbed it. And – and I said, uh, Justin. <laughs> he's still looking at the forward-facing sonar. He's oh waiting to see God. the strike on the screen. Right. And ignores the alligator that swam up to the bait and ate it. 
ate it. It's like a kid with their phone. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, that's the sad part, Terry. And to your point, when we fish, we get to see the, you see the osprey, you look up, you, you're looking at all this nature, right? That's what we do as fishermen. And it's not happening anymore. These guys are looking down at that screen the whole time. And God, that's a great story, Ken. I'm going to tell that a lot because, you know, I used to go catch alligators. I know you're not supposed to, but in in Alabama, I was thrilled at uh, Eufaula. They eat a frog really good, and it's so much fun to hook them. I mean, you just go, there's alligators everywhere, right? And and it's like a little marshmallow. You throw a white frog out there, and they swim up to it. And the coolest thing is when they just go, and they just chomp on it. And then you go, whack, and it looks like a jet ski did a circle out there, this giant. A giant alligator goes nuts. And I mean, I'm a California kid. I'm like, I get to catch alligators in Alabama. And I mean, there's lots of them and they love white frogs. So I was, I didn't realize it was illegal. I didn't realize you weren't supposed to do it, but I was doing it. And I was just hooking these giant alligators, having a blast. And you're enjoying nature. You're seeing osprey, you're seeing owls, you're seeing the coolest things. You're seeing bald eagles, you're, you're watching beavers and all that stuff. And, and, and all that to that point, Ken, it's, he doesn't even watch a, alligator go eat his bait while he's fishing it's it's more than that though i mean you know you would you would uh notice that the 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 greaves were diving Mm -hmm. you know when the greaves were diving you knew there was bait in the area uh you knew that something was active you saw the cows on the uh on the shoreline that were laying down you knew something you know there's nothing no activity right uh you know seagulls diving you know a change a change in the wind direction if you're glued it into your phone or a, a, a forward-facing sonar unit, are you going to notice all yeah. those? Sub- you're not going to see the shad running up against the bank. You're not going to see a school of shad getting popped along the bank. You know, unless you hear the blow up, you're busy yeah. looking for forward-facing sonar, and you're missing the swirls, the swirls mm-hmm. of, a, of a school of shad that's being pushed up against a boat dock or a stump, and and, and yeah. all that's being missed now. And that's sad, man. These kids are missing. What we love, I, I love fishing because I made a living in nature. You know, my yeah. passion, I had the best office in the world. And that was every lake and river and stream that they took us to to fish a tournament. And now, mm-hmm. you know, these kids are just putting their electronics on. And I, I've heard, I told Rick about that. There's guys here in Texas, these kids, when they're forward fishing sonars don't work, they just put it on a trailer and go home. They don't even fish. They stop fishing the minute their forward fishing sonar is not working. And that's a known problem oh. that if their electronics aren't working, they might as well go home. You know, they're like, wow. there's no fishing. They, wow. won't even go, they won't even go fishing during the day. They, and I mean, several tournaments where I'm like, oh, yeah, some guys had problems with other tribes. They just went home. They, they won't even fish. <laughs> Amazing and horrific. I mean, you go to the lake and you're in a tournament. And then because your electronics don't work, you just say, I'm done. I mean, maybe you are because of the stats. <laughs> in reality, our sad part is if you're not, if you're, you know, maybe they're right. But at the same time, dude, you're at the tournament and you're, you paid your entry. If you get out on the water, don't just quit because your electronics don't work. I mean, that's yeah. a sad, that's a sad situation. Mm. Wow. But anyway, unbelievable. so much for Debbie. Yeah. All right, Byron Velvet, tell us a story about, about a big fish. doesn't have to be the biggest fish you ever hooked, but a big fish that got away from you that haunts you to this day. Oh, oh yeah. I, I got, that's a great question. And, 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 and boy, there's, there's a lot of them, but I can remember clearly, this is my early days. It was Lake Mead. Uh, and this was a fish that, that would have easily won me the tournament. And I, and, and it was, and, and I remember I, I hooked it on a top water. It was on a popper in the jit beds. And, and this is back when you're starving. 
This is back when you need to win a boat to keep going. And I, I think you guys remember I, the joke was I used to go pick up golf balls. Everybody was a golf ball. Yeah. So I, I was always having to jump in the lakes and pick up golf balls at night in order to supplement my income because I made more money doing that than anything else. But still, I had to put on a wetsuit. I had to sneak into a golf course and I had to pick up thousands of golf balls. Well, I hated golf balling. So every time I could win a tournament, I didn't have to freaking <laughs> golf ball for a long, long time. If I could win a tournament, well, Lake Mead, this one tournament I had. I, I, I was in the top three or four or five the first day. I was way up there. And the second day I had a good limit. I knew I was a kicker away and it was the afternoon and it was on a top water. And it was real. It was a really great bite because you could just run every pocket and they were eating this popper. You had to throw it to the very back of the pocket, pop it one time and just wait. That was the cadence, man. It was unbelievably predictable where you could just throw it out there. And again, this is the beauty of before forward facing sonar. You just ran every single pocket at the lake. You threw as far as you could down the middle of the gut. You popped it one time and you waited. And you just popped again. If it was moving fast, forget it. But if it just popped and just sat there and was dead sticking, they just smoke it. So I was on this great pattern and it was doing me well. And I and I was I was solid. I knew I was one big fish away. And I hooked her in the jip beds. And she was probably five, which is a huge fish, you know, yeah. close to five at me. I already had a good limit. And and I remember I had a pro's wife in the boat with me. She was a darn good fisherman. And, uh, and she was excited because she knew that was the fish to win. I knew it was the fish to win. And I fought that fish all the way up and she had the net out. And this was, I was already cashing the check. I was already selling the boat, you know, I already knew oh. which boat it was in my head. I'm yeah. like, I I've won. Like, I know this is it and it's done. And that fish oh, is yeah. coming in the boat and I'm just kind of pulling it along. And, and, and literally she had the net out and then all of a sudden it just, popped you know it just the hook just popped and the fish kept coming by the amount of torque i had on it the fish was dead it was not dead it was just tired and laid up and she's reaching as far as she can and the fish misses the rim of the net and goes under the net but it's it doesn't even have its strength anymore because i had fought it for so long and i'm watching a forty five thousand dollar fifty fifty thousand dollar fish uh. just 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 very slowly all in slow motion just kind of regain its strength and kind of right itself and then just slowly swim down and she's got the <laughs> net there and she's holding the net on and i'm just like oh i mean those the few of those i think the most painful fish i can remember losing they were all boat fish i call them because that was a fish that was a boat yeah and and, and it was a win and it was it was a it was a, a total year maker. It kept me out of the lake picking up golf balls. You know, that was it. I was not a golf ball for that for six oh, months. Man. Because of that fish. And that fish had me in a very relaxed state. And that, that was, thanks for asking that question. It's a great question. And that I, I have five or six of those particular fish that in different places where they were bed fish that I sat on forever trying to get them to bite, knowing they were boat fish. You know, you're, you've, you've done your job. You found the fish to win. You know, whether it's a, that topwater fish was a painful one because it was at the net and it, it unhooked at the net. And it was just a it was just a flick of the hook. You saw the hook pop out. It was all in slow motion. But that was those boat fish in the early days were the tough pill to swallow because you knew how close you were to winning yet another boat. Yeah, that's Damn. those were the tough ones. Great question. The biggest fish that you've ever lost. The biggest fish I ever lost. It was. The one I, I didn't see it. I mean, I can tell you what you mean. The one I never, the one that I hope. No, the one that you've seen, the biggest one that you've seen that you. Oh, the biggest one I've seen that I lost. That would have to be a clear lake. 
and, and, and I don't know how big it was. It was giant. It was really big. And, and, and I remember that was in the early days of swim bait. I think I told you guys the story, you know, about those swim bait days and how we were hooking those giants, you know, they're like seals out there. And it was after I won Clear Lake, but I was still fishing Clear Lake with swim baits. And, and Aaron and I both, I, I remember Aaron swore he saw the world record, what he thought was the world record down by, right by Lakeport. And I saw one around Anderson Island. These are both places at Clear Lake where these things are just behemoths, you know, giants. And in that same area, you know, where, where the eyes are bugged out and it's the biggest that she ever saw. And I, I hooked one on a swim bait on a Thule line. And, and when I saw her come up, I was like, you know, my biggest fish is 1486. And that fish was bigger than that. But I don't know how big it was. But it was, it was bigger than anything I'd ever seen. And I'm not saying it was a world record, but Aaron and I both saw what we thought were 20 pluses. I saw one that I thought was over 20 at Clear Lake. You know, and yeah. it was it was crazy to pull up to. I was bed fishing. And I, I'll tell you the story on that one, because that one, I, I went the first day of the tournament with Gene Ivino, Don Ivino's son. I started there and I said, I'm starting on a spot where I saw the biggest fish in my life ever. And and, and I'm, I'm going to I'm shaking. I'm so excited. But we're starting fishing at a place where yesterday I saw the biggest fish of my entire life. And I remember pulling up to the Thule line because I was looking for bedfish because it was springtime. And as I approached the Thule line, I put my troll motor down and moving up to the Thule line, I'm seeing what I thought was a big giant carp out there suspended, sunning themselves, you know, because it's cold, cold yeah. early spring, and she's got her eggs. And so she's up near the surface and she's just sitting there. And I'm coming up to it. I'm looking at it like a carp. And all of a sudden I see her start to turn sideways and i realize it's a bass but it's like that wide and that long you know it's just this and the eyeball is what you remember wow. you know remember the eyeball because it's like orca it's sticking way out it's a big giant bulged out eye and she looks over at you and she just slowly turns and starts to go down you're like that is not possible to be a bass it's too big <laughs> but it's the colors are right but it's like a it's like a giant grass carp painted like a bass that's what your your mind is trying to process it as being a bass because and I, I remember Aaron at the time, I said, dude, I saw a fish that I swear to God was 20, 20, eight, high teens to early to, to low 20s, I'm guessing. But those were those were my two, my biggest fish I ever saw and the biggest fish I ever lost were both in that same area. And and, and it was just a swim bait fish that that killed me, kicked my butt, you know, tore me apart. The one I hooked at Amistad, I never saw it. That literally, fish literally took me to my knees. You know, it's hard to believe wow. it literally takes you down, pitching braid. Yeah, that wasn't a swimming, guys. This was amazing, right? I'm pitching, you know, trees, and I think that fish was at the bottom of a tree under a big stump. And when he went that way, it was like a pulley system, you know? It pulled me straight <laughs> down. This just goes, and it just starts pulling straight down. You got heavy 65-pound braid and a big, giant, heavy-duty jig. And it literally, you know that fish took off that way as fast as he could, but he literally pulled you almost in the water. And, and, and this is going back to saltwater days. It was like hooking a calico bass under an oil derrick. You know, it was, it was like yeah. that. It was literally hooking a calico bass that you could not control. And those mm -hmm. were great memories when you hook those fish that you just can't even begin to turn. Just don't even. Right. Yeah. So there's another mm -hmm. question from uh, Patrick Veltman. How many 10-pound bass have you landed? How many 10s have I landed? Um, I'm not – because I fish tournaments, I, didn't, I haven't caught a, a bazillion of them, but let's see. I would have to say probably – eight or 10, you know, if I was to guess, you know, eight or 10, you know, I, I, I've never been like a, a big bass super guru where I go out and just fish for big bass in tournaments. You just don't get a lot of them, you know? Yeah. 
So yeah, I've caught, you know, my, my, I can think of 14s of Paris, you know? So if I, it would be no, probably no more than 10, I would guess. A 1480, was it 1486? You said is your personal best. Yeah. Louisiana. That's a, that's a monster. That's a, I mean, that was a monster. Out of Louisiana. Caney Lake, Louisiana, where the lake record Jeez. was all the time, right? Near yeah. The state record. The state record is out of there. Yeah, the state record in Louisiana. And I thought it was the state record. And the state record was 15 and a half. And I thought, and and the, the deal was Louisiana had a deal where if you caught it and you photographed it and measured it and released it, they would send you a replica. So here I am from California. Well, I guess that only applies to Louisiana residents because I never got them. <laughs> and I, I'm like, Louisiana he still owes me a 1486 mount because I went there. I took pictures of it. I showed it to everybody. We documented it. I went and released it. And to this day, I've never got my Louisiana 1486 mount that they promised me. I come on, Louisiana. Come on, come Louisiana. On. I filled out all the paperwork. I thought it was a state record when I found it on a bed. And uh, and then I, I called my buddy because I, I was on a guide trip. I told my buddy on the guide trip. I said, we're done. I took the customer in and dropped him off and called my buddy to come down and help me try to catch it. And then I caught it that evening and took it in. That was a neat fish. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a fourteen eighty six on a bed. That was pretty cool. On a bed. Oh, oh my on a gosh. Bed. Yeah, on a bed. That's cool. Yep. We got uh, David Jong's got a question for you. During your West Coast days, did you have a rivalry with anybody? Ooh, that's, that's a great. Cool. I like that question. That is. Yeah. A question. You know who? You know who? We really butted heads a lot. Was me and Dean Rojas a lot. Really. Dean Rojas and I butted heads a lot. I did not like Dean Rojas, and Dean Rojas and I were head to head. Yeah, there. I can tell you, we were really hard at it with each other. Yes, yeah. Dean, Dean was, uh, Dean, Dean was very much a. I gotta be careful here. <laughs> I remember from podcast. We're not just sitting in my living room talking. Yeah, Dean and I, we had some rivalries, and we actually drew each other head to head. And boy, man, that was a freaking battle and a half on the water we we were really we were really everybody knew we didn't like each other so bad they let they they were dying laughing when Bassmaster at elephant butte paired us together so we oh got my paired God. together and that was a tough tournament elephant butte Bassmaster, the the the, the, the when they went there yeah wow. we got paired together uh, yeah, so that, walk uh, us through the day Oh my gosh. Well, we both obviously fought for the boat. We obviously, he was doing, he had some sponsorship deals. So he said he had to take his boat. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not happening because he had something going on. And he was like, he was Mr. Superstar Dean Rojas in his, in his world. And so he was, he was either, there was somebody filming something or day in the life of this guy or something like that, whatever it was. He just, he just was like, you were taking my boat. I go, no, we're not. We're flipping. You know, back then you flip for the boat and you flip for the, who gets the first half of the day. You, you flip for everything. If you don't get along, you're flipping coins like crazy. And me and Dean, they get along. So we were flipping coins like crazy. And uh, and we did our best to backseat each other pretty well, you know. And I remember clearly uh, when it was his half day, which I think was the first half, because there was somebody filming and they were dying laughing because he was paralleling these banks. Like he would just get right up against the bank and parallel. And he's casting forward. And this is Elephant View. So there's nowhere for me to fish. I mean, there really is. There's rocks. There's rocks right here and there's deep water out here and yeah. he's going right down there and he's paralleling. And I'm in, cause we had an agreement, you know, that who, when it's your half the day, cause you have that conversation, you know, back when it was boat, boat, draw, whose boat we going to take flip a coin. Well, he didn't like that cause he really wanted to use his boat and because we were filming and or something he was doing. And, uh, and then when you're, 
when it's my half the day, are you in the back of the boat or are we up front together? That was another conversation you had to have. Is it gentlemanly where you're both going to fish the front both both halves the day? No, not for me and Dean it wasn't. I was going to be in the front. Wow. And Dean was going to be in the front for his Guys, I can clearly remember that. He's, he's, you know, just casting like this. And he's basically in his, in his little pro world himself. And he's got his little people filming and I'm bored. So I just wait till he fires back and I just dangle my line right over there. I just wait and I try to hook his little hook. I mean, I'm having fun now. And the camera goes, <laughs> and he goes back like this. And I just kind of put my rod and my bait right there. He goes, just yeah, blows up his reel. Blows his reel up, and the camera guy's laughing, and I'm like, "Uh oh!" And he looks back at me, and I'm like, "Like this, you know?" I mean, and it was <laughs> not friendly. It was like, "Oh, dude, I'm so sorry." I mean, it was just like you talk about two guys when we were when we were at blast off. Skeet and everybody, Murray and everybody, were laughing because literally at blast off, we're both sitting there like this. You know, and he's over there looking like this. And so there's two guys in a boat that are literally looking in opposite directions and they both got their arms crossed and neither one of us are talking to each other. And everybody's driving by the boat just to see the two of us paired together. That's how bad that rivalry was between me and Dean Rojas. We had it That's out. That's funny. Truly, we had it out for each other. That was probably my number one nemesis in the early days. And, you know, little did you know at the time, Byron, but he left you all the best water. You just didn't realize all those fish that were out there in open water just randomly roaming around. If I just had a little pole with a little forward-facing sonar, right? Exactly. You'd have killed them. And I just went out there looking around. I said, oh, look over there. What's that thing? Yep. You'd have slayed a man. Imagine having like a little metal detector forward-facing sonar. Just a little (laughs) pole that goes down, a little little disc down there underwater. Oh, my gosh. That would be Brown Bay Company has uh, another question. Byron, are you a fan of the Huddleston? Yes, I love the Huddlestons. I, I really do. I, I like all the Huddleston mates. I love Ken Huddleston. And Ken taught me a lot. You know, I, I loved picking. I liked all the old-time guys and all the baits. I loved talking to those guys. And, and, and it was neat to have Butch Brown, you know, talk to me and help me out with what he knew. And Huddleston educating me on what he knew. And I loved talking to the guy and, and Alan Cole. And, you know, and then... I just loved all of it. You know, Bruce Porter with with Bastrix was amazing. And his group of friends, the bat, the original, and Bastrix are still one of my favorite baits. But I love Huddlestones, absolutely. And they're fantastic baits. They're just so good. Yeah. What's a great bait that, uh, that you loved? Uh, maybe you still fish, but didn't make it for some reason that you still don't quite understand. A bait that I what? Well, you know, especially in the world, I think, of, of, of bass fishing, where guys can be so secretive, maybe a bait that you loved, you thought, man, this is it. And But, you know, like a lot of guys, you kind of keep it to yourself. You don't want everybody knowing about it. And well, the bait didn't catch on. I, I was but you still... California, California Swim Babes. You remember Art Berry's old company, the Swim Babes, yep. the, uh, the Baby E and the, the, the E's? That was after the Ospreys. Ospreys were amazing. And then the Baby E, the California Swim Babies, came along. And then that company went away. And, and you know, and uh, Mickey 316 is strong. I mean, he's still kicking them out. But uh, uh, True Tungsten went south because of the what we talked about. And, and, and there were a lot of little niche things. I saw somebody ask about triple trout. And I still have yeah. – I, I actually have some of those. I've been debating whether I'm going to put those on my eBay site. The, the old triple trouts. Yep. You know, the old, uh, the triple Scott, trout. Scott lives on Fork now. Does he? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah, he has, a sh- he has a shop over there. 
And they, yep. do a, they do a swim bait thing over there. I'm tempted to go to that. They had like a big swim bait jamboree over there on Lake yeah. Fork. Yeah. But uh, oh, very cool. Yeah, there's a swim bait jamboree at Lake Fork. They had my buddy told me I should go there just because it's such a cool thing to have a whole bunch of swim bait people all get together. You know, fishing out on that's that's bait. Terry's best friend right there. Doc, really? Yeah, oh, yeah no we've known each other since we were 15 years old. He was really yeah. cool, man. They're great people. Yep. Yeah, you know that, that those those companies, you know, there's 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 so many of them, and and I think they made great baits, and I and and you know, I, I think a lot of the stuff I. I was watching somebody that do something on this, the mega bass, uh, whatever. And it sure does look like, you know, the BV 3d. <laughs> a lot of them you're like, God, that looks familiar. <laughs> that looks yeah, a lot like something I won a tournament on, you know, what, 10 years ago. Yep. You mentioned art Barry. We're talking about kind of the one that got away, whether it's a fish that got away, a bait that didn't hit that you thought might hit. Um, art Barry is a name I think that comes up occasionally when people talk about a guy who might've been a great bass pro, but for whatever reason, wasn't able to make it happen, didn't turn the corner, couldn't get out of his own way. Uh, who's a guy who you thought, hey, this guy's going to be a big star, but it just didn't work out? Uh, well, you know, Art's, Art was Art was amazing. Art was so talented. And, and again, that's that's that, funny we bring that up because that is, that's one of the guys that, you know, he, he could have had a long career in, in fishing because he was such a good fisherman. Um, who else? Can I think he couldn't that? get it done in the east, it seemed. Yeah, yeah, it was hard. A real talent, kind of fell on some very hard times that uh, folks can look up and Google. Uh, you know, living a, a bare bones kind of existence, still trying to to make it. But was there was there somebody else who comes to mind? Uh, not not really, not that I could think of. I mean, and that's probably just because I'm having a brain fart right now. <laughs> It's not by any means of like, I'm trying to think of somebody that came and went and you think, and, and, and I, gosh, I don't want to insult him because I'm not sure who might still be in the game and say, oh yeah, whatever happened to, and then it's like, well, they're still around. <laughs> they're just fishing MLM. <laughs> it's like, where'd oh, they go? <laughs> at, at the risk of either of you guys not being friends with this guy, but he's another California Western guy who I always enjoyed when he was on the, uh, the BASS tour, the national tour. And, and I was sorry when he left because he was such a nice guy and he occasionally had some big successes. And that was Mike Reynolds. I, yeah, I always thought oh, Reynolds Mike was a, a very stuck. talented guy. Robert Lee. But he, you know, well, yeah, the king of the Delta. King of the Delta. Yeah, yeah Robert Lee. Too, you know, he fished back east. So, yeah, but Mike Reynolds was a really good stick. That was a dear friend of John Murray's, actually. You know, Mike was really close with John. They were close. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mike Reynolds is a good one. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Dave Rush, Dave Rush was really good. I remember Dave, I don't know what he's doing anymore, but Dave Rush, was but I don't think there. Rush ever went, I don't think he ever went East, but no, he, he was, was a fisherman that you wish, you know, you'd like to have seen him gone East. Dobbins. What the hell? I mean, it's 47 boats and he doesn't ever go out of a zip code. No, he won them all in that zip code, <laughs> zip code angler. 47 yeah. boats in your neck of the woods. Uh, <laughs> makes great products, makes great fishing rods, and and an amazing talent, obviously, in Gary Dodds. Yeah. Yes, very uh, much. Though. Dustin Grant yes. has a question. Any good Aaron Martin stories? Uh, oh, I'd have yeah. given anything to have met him. And I just, I, I remember uh, Falcon and uh, Aaron getting bent out of shape because you guys both found the same batch of fish. No, no, no. We did not find the same batch of fish. We did Okay, not. my mistake. We, 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 we didn't find him. I invited him in the first day because he was, he's a dear friend of mine and he was a dear friend of mine. And Aaron was, Aaron was Aaron. And he was sitting about 
a quarter mile or uh, an eighth of a mile to a quarter mile on a point far away. And I pulled up with the Carolina rig after I fished shallow all morning. And Benny Matsubu is the one that put me on that, the Carolina rig bite. And I pulled up to where, you know, I, and, and it's funny because we're talking about nothing that has to do with swim baits. And, you know, Carolina rigging those, those, that structure, what's called Baker. It was called Baker, Baker's Point. I guess apparently I, I learned that it's a bunch of foundations from an old bakery. Whatever it was, I just knew there was a bunch of junk down there. I had amazing practice in this general area where I was at. And that's where I caught that 100 and I think the belt's right over there. I think it's like 140 something pounds or 130. Do you remember what it was, Ken? Yeah. It's, you remember? Well, I, I know that Elias wound up with one with 134. 42, 8 or something. One was it? Was it? I, I was, it was 134. Yeah, Elias won it. Elias won it. Yeah. If I 132 that, eight is what Elias had. 132 eight. It clicked finally in my tiny head. 115. Yeah. Yep. And and of course, uh Scroggins was right there with you guys. And I, he was second and I was third. I believe it was it was Paul first. And if I would have if I would have won that tournament, I would have had both records. I would have had the three oh my gosh. four day record. Right. But see, <laughs> yeah. Then you'd never do the Big Bass podcast. You'd be too big for us. We wouldn't. I mean, right? I was. You wouldn't even take our calls. I was third in that tournament, and I was two places away from owning the BASS all-time three and four-day record, and I missed it by two places. And Paul Elias was within sight of me. Terry Scroggins was in the same bay, but Paul Elias was sitting on a spot where Mary Delgado from the show caught a ten-pounder, where Paul sat the whole time in practice. Mary's in the back of my boat fishing with me in practice and mary delgado catches a 10 a 10 pounder in the back of the boat her biggest bass we went we had when she caught it we reeled it up i threw it in the boat and we went over and i took a picture of her with it you know far away because she was I, we couldn't make any noise we were practicing but she catches a 10 paul elias never left that spot that's where he set the record i pulled up on another spot that also caught big ones and i had two big bites on it and then Aaron's down a ways and he's not catching them. And I start wrecking them the first day. And Aaron's like, oh my God, they moved. I go, what? He goes, my fish moved. You know, this is typical Aaron, right? He's convinced his fish moved. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, they're not here anymore. They came to you. I'm like, no, I, how do you know they didn't go that way? This, this is Aaron, right? Like he just, he thinks that every all the fish are his fish, right? He's like, they moved. I'm like, well, then come on over here and catch them, man. I go, come on in here. So the first day I, I waved him in, I go, come on over here. And we put our boat side by side and we caught them. And so for three days, we literally sat side by side and caught the heck out of those fish. And then on the last day, he didn't want me to be there. And I'm like, dude, I invited you in there. And the last <laughs> yeah, day, that's... I'm leading the tournament. I go, I'm going back. I go, I'll make you a deal. I go, I got three great areas. I go, pick which one you're going to start at. I'll pick, I, I go, I got three little key areas within that area that I'll fish. Since you're leading the tournament, I'm going to let you pick which one you start on. I'm going to go to whichever one you're not at. But I'm not leaving the whole area. I mean, no, I'm in of course not. Of course I'm in ninth not. place. You're in first place. This isn't going to be me just leaving altogether. And that became the world-famous battle that everybody watched on television that day when Aaron, you know, came apart. And I just fished around him, but I was catching him like I was catching him. And that's where, you know, Zona said something really poignant. He said, that was the tournament that – opened the door to everybody realizing that Aaron could be rattled because we never knew we could rattle Aaron up until then. And I didn't mean to rattle him. I mean, I just was going to fish where I invited him to fish, but yeah. the last day he literally fell apart. He went from first place to all the way down to whatever 10th or 12th or 15th. You know, he had a really poor day the last day, but he was all around big fish. They were all around it. Paul Ice was winning it. 
I was catching 131 pounds, they were there, you know, but, but Aaron really fell apart. And Zona said that was the aha moment for the Van Dams, everybody else that looked for the, they just, you know, the, these guys are looking for the blood trail, you know, they're like, how do I beat this guy? And that, that's the first time I ever got, or saw Aaron get rattled was when we shared that spot together, but we were friends. And there was a stretch there for a couple of years where he got rattled fairly often where yep. something would happen that would take him off his game. And, and what maybe a lot of a story that maybe a lot of people haven't heard is Aaron could be, everybody knows Aaron could be quirky, but I, I've been out there following, you know, a leader or something many times. And, 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 and he would just start singing. Uh, yeah. On the water. And he'd like say, the, he'd just start singing something like, like Iron Velvet, Byron Velvet, <laughs> trying to catch my fish or something like that. Just, totally out of the blue yeah and and i know one time i i uh he was fishing an area really close to where the bass media trailer was and i realized oh my god there's Aaron right out here so i walk outside to go see him and he never looks up at me but i guess he can see my giant shiny bald head and he starts singing can do can do but yeah i missed that guy uh let me tell you i used to practice with him so aaron came along he got on the tour and he was younger than me and murray but i i i we we were really really good friends and you know i remember when he met leslie i went to the wedding you know we go way 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 back and so aaron and i I was fishing with aaron and, and i would i would try to work with him you know try to try to talk to him and this is out west as well as back east Wherever we were at, you know, I could trust Aaron would tell you the truth and I would tell him the truth. This is you look for those three or four guys you can confide in the three, the three or four guys you can really bounce stuff off of is what you're looking for. So when you're driving around, you got a bunch of social friends, you got a bunch of pseudo kind of friends. And then you have those guys that are like, (laughs) I, I, I know this guy will shoot straight with me and I'll shoot straight with him. So I pull up to Aaron. He goes, oh, dude, I'm, I'm catching him good. And I'm like, what are you throwing? He goes, I'm throwing a, a, a worm with a little 132nd ounce bullet weight on it, Texas-style robo worm, Aaron's magic, you know, with a 132nd. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He goes, yeah, six-pound test, you know. I go, and it's got to be pegged. It's got to be pegged. I'm like, a one, a 132nd or a 164? He goes, yeah, you got to make them dizzy. You got to make them dizzy. It falls down, and as it's falling, it makes them dizzy, and they eat it. And I'm like, are you freaking? are you kidding me right now? Like I, I haven't been bit all morning. And he's like, Oh no, dude, I've already caught like 12. I've already caught 12. And I can't remember which lake it was at, but he, this is a perfect example. So I'm like, dude, I don't have any 164 bullet weights. <laughs> and, and, and I will break out a six pound test bait caster. Or I don't know. I spool some line. Why are we throwing a bait caster on six pound test? I have no idea, but he's just like, you know, he's got his crazy little rigs. Right. And so, yeah. And so I get what, and we're in the boat side by side. He goes, dude, you got to throw it. You got to throw it. Like he's passionate. Right. And I know he's shooting straight. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. I tie on my 164th ounce and I tie on my little, my little, I, I peg it just like he says. And I throw it out there and I'm stripping line out, trying to make the fish dizzy. You know, I'm over there trying to make it like, how do we make a fish dizzy? And I go to a million places. And so like four hours later, I see him again and I pull up and I'm like, dude. And he goes, Oh yeah, no, they stopped eating that. They're eating a jig now. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, ever since I've seen you, I haven't caught any more on it. Now I'm catching them on a jig. And I'm like, my head's blowing up. Like, I'm like, how many have you caught on a jig? He goes, I've caught like eight on a jig. I go, but you told me they were eating a 164 ounce worm, you know? And he goes, well, they were until I saw you, but they're not eating anymore. He goes, now brown jig with purple. So I'm chasing Aaron's, like, I'm trying to keep up with Aaron. I'm like, message to Byron Velvet, do not chase Aaron's bite. Like, do not 
ever try to keep up with Aaron Martins. Whatever Aaron's doing, just let him do it. And Murray laughed at me about this. Murray's like, yeah, dude, biggest mistake you can ever make is trying to fish Aaron's way of fishing because it's impossible. Yeah, I believe that. It reminds me of a story. Uh, it was one of those all-star tournaments at the end of the season, probably around 2009, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And and uh, I'm in the boatyard talking with Aaron, and Terry Scroggins comes up. And he's wanting to know if he can get some scrounger heads from Aaron because he thinks there might be a scrounger bite out there. And Aaron was a, an enormously generous man in so many ways until it involved his fishing stuff. Yeah. Uh, he, he has to pull out one, one utility box, one like 3,700 box with the heads. And then he's got another 3,700 box with the lips, mm -hmm. you know, because they be perfect and lined up like little soldiers. And he, he takes like five minutes to, to stretch that, that silicone lip over the head just so <laughs> and then he hands it to Scroggins. And that was all Scroggins was going to get. <laughs> one. One. And Aaron had Aaron had easily the makings of 100. But that was, he was going to get one. Yeah, that's true. Every lure was his pet. It was like, you were taking a child from him when you took a lure from him. Oh, no. And, and I don't know. You can't have that one. You're like, okay. Oh, yeah, on. exactly. Because then he would say something like, well, if I give you another one, then I'll only have 98. Right. You know? I, I, they're, <laughs> losing them, bro. they're losing them, bro. I lose them on the rocks, bro. And I got three days of fishing. I can't give it to you. I'm like, I'll give it back if you're leaving it. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, Aaron was wonderful, man. It was. It oh, was, he was such a. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a, a guy incapable. Uh, I think Aaron was incapable on, on some level of. of Actually, today and, is Aaron Martin's Remembrance Day. Is it yeah, really? That's, yeah. that's what I hear. That's what I saw yeah. on uh, Bass Blaster or something. Wow. Um, I'm talking about him, man. I'm glad the podcast switched over to that because that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, Aaron was wonderful. Just one of my favorite people I ever got to know. And and uh, just dining with Aaron was quite an experience. People Sushi thought they each other fun. after Falcon. I mean, they really made that out to me. We, we, we were at odds for a while, but people, man, that because it aired on television and then it was on YouTube and people could watch it, man, you, you know, that was that was really that because of it was televised, it made it so much worse than what it was. You know, and, and, and it was just a, it was too bad Falcon was was that much of a deal between, and, and everyone was like, oh, you know, Aaron Martin's, they, you know, I thought that would be a rival. It's like, that's no, a rival. I've, I've had a long, long, long standing friendship with him way beyond any fishing tournament. You know, I know he got upset because he had such a, you know, that was, you know, Aaron getting into a tournament where he thought that he should, you know, he would love to have won it, but it just didn't work out. Yeah. Well, I knew you guys were close even through that. Yeah, Aaron could get, uh, distracted I, i'm not even going to say angry per se because i don't know that aaron was truly angry at you so much as he was maybe frustrated by being distracted by you yeah and um and and i watched aaron get distracted many a time when somebody would come out and and just try to mess with him um and say well you know if you're not using five pound tests you know, you're not going to get bit mm -hmm. well that would that would send him into rethinking his entire game plan. <laughs> what, about, what about him opening up his terminal tackle box or opening up his worm box and seeing two worms that were a little bit bent and he'd empty the box in the middle of the tournament on his deck and completely rearrange the box. Yeah. So everything was perfect. He did that. I, I went to his house a bunch of times and that guy lived out I, I, ad nauseum. Leslie and I would be upstairs We'd all be doing stuff, and he would sit down in his garage and just 
do stuff. Not even a tournament coming up. Nothing even happening. Just be down in his garage working on tackle. And it was it was crazy to be around his house because we were all doing other stuff and playing all this other stuff. And Aaron and Leslie, I would even laugh about it. I'm like, this guy, it's not like we have a major event coming up, but he is down there redoing his whole whatever whatever bait box you might be thinking whatever and you just spill them all out and 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 it would be like i can't i can't put that much love and energy into this man it's crazy i'm like i'm freaking out and then you got the opposite like i remember robert lee for instance he would just grab a whole pile of spinner baits and shake it whichever one fell out on the deck is the one he throw like he would just have a bucket, a bucket of spinner baits you know and it'd be like a hodgepodge and someone have the old the old robert things that were melted you know the old skirts you yeah. know he's shaking it and he goes, oh, yeah, they'll eat that one. I mean, Aaron would have lost his damn mind looking at Robert Lee just shaking a whole pile of spinnerbaits to try to get one loose. Imagine that. <laughs> I've, I've told this story before on, on other shows. Um, after after Aaron finished second in the 2004 Classic to Takahiro, I'm standing with him at his boat, and, and the deck is just littered with what I think were Zoom flukes. Um and he had been throwing them on something like a fish head spin, some sort of horsey head type bait. And, and I looked at him and I noticed that every one of them, every one of these flukes that was torn up and thrown on the deck of the boat um, had a, a black eye on each side. He had drawn in with a Sharpie and they had a red gill plate that he had drawn in with a Sharpie and they had a smiley face. <laughs> and I said, OK, and you, and you guys know you can't do that in advance. You have to do that right before you throw them because otherwise they oh, just bleed just all over bleed. each other. Nothing happens. Um, right. So he's doing that right before he throws. And you know, Aaron, it's going to take him at least a minute to do one. Right. So he's losing cap. But anyway, so I'm, I'm saying, okay, Aaron, this is right after he's just lost the classic by a small margin. And uh, I said, okay, Aaron, I get the eyes. A lot of guys do that. I get the gill plate. Makes sense on some level. But what's with the smiley face? And he said, Ken, I thought they wanted a happy bait. <laughs> and, and and everybody, everybody right here knows he was deadly serious. Dead serious. <laughs> yep. When I told you he wanted to make the fish dizzy, he literally told me the fish had to be dizzy for that one. That worm had to fall and be twisting in the water. So it made the fish dizzy. And they wanted a dizzy worm. They wanted a happy bait and they wanted a dizzy worm. And that's crazy. But it was dead serious. Like, like, there's no joking about this. This is what you must do. And 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 you know, we I I learned a long time ago. Don't don't fish Aaron's fish. Don't talk to Aaron because whatever he's doing, you can't even do it if you wanted to. Such sound advice. <laughs> it was good advice. I, it, it took me a, it took me a year or two to learn how to interview Aaron. Uh -huh. If if I asked him a question, he would get to the answer. He might first have to tell me how he lost his cell phone or how <laughs> something else happened, but he would come around to the answer. Or why and, turkey's so good in your spaghetti and you do you, are you running every day? And I only eat turkey with spaghetti. Don't eat red meat, Ken. Ken you don't want the red meat in a spaghetti. Leslie makes the best turkey sausage spaghetti you could ever have. You know, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then the weight metabolism and, and hiking the Adirondacks and whatever it is until you get to the what you need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you were talking a little bit earlier about um, how he would sometimes let his his total dedication and devotion and, and passion for the attention get in his way um, in the 2005 classic uh, where he also 
finished second to Van Dam. Uh, he lost a couple of, of fish. He broke off a fish or two. That water was very turbid. There was no more than nine or 10 inches of visibility in those rivers. And Aaron's throwing five pound test line. <sighs> and I'm wondering why on earth are you using five pound line when, when there's no way that, that line visibility could be a factor here. That was Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, it was Pittsburgh. Sorry, yeah, the, the Three Rivers area of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Five-pound test line in water that was really dirty. Most of yep. it six to eight inches of visibility. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. We, we, we Bass Center, we were there. Uh, the, that was one of our Bass Center studio setups, and I remember that water clarity, and yeah. we were having the same conversation about why would you use that light of line around those bridges with that kind of dirty water? Like, what's the point of that? You know, you're like, you're not going to question him. I mean, he got second, but he, he should have easily won that with a eight pound test or, you know, whatever he could have used. Yeah, because he, he lost that one that key fish. fish. Yeah, the one where he falls to the deck holding his head. Yeah, the man, the man could have won that classic. Uh, what, what, yeah. what, a, what a great competitor. Something great happened to your, being. something happened. Your hat, your sound can is, uh, Oh, messed up. Yeah, your sound went away a little bit, Ken. I'll, I'll be quiet. No, no, you're good. I just say it's quite, you, you got, you see if your plug is plugged in. Okay. Yeah, everything's plugged in. Can you hear me? That's weird. I think I'm down to 18%, so I better plug this thing in. Oh, well, heck, we've had you for two and a half hours. Has it been two and a half hours? No way. Yeah. Yeah. The time flies when you're hours. having fun. Oh my gosh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's Question. why you need a podcast. You're so good at this, Byron. You're so good. I'm not good at this. You guys are good at this. You guys are leading this thing. I'm, I'm looking at my, I'm like, you're right. It is two and a half hours. All right. So we got one more question from Country Nerd 24. Mr. Byron, do you think OH Ivy will produce the Texas state record next year? The 16-5 caught a couple weeks ago was insane for a fall bass. Man, that's that's uh, yeah, that's one lake where there's some giants in there. God, there's some big fish in there, and I, and 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 that is insane. A 16-5 for the fall. You know, they stopped taking share luckers because it's just become such a bass factory out there. And I fish that lake quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I I think this spring it probably will. There's probably going to be a you know, a, a, a behemoth, you know, yeah, to his answer, yes. I think OHIV probably will produce that. It's covered up with boats. It's a frustrating lake to fish because it's so heavily hit, but there are just some monsters in there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a tough lake to fish. I, it's frustrating to go there because it's so, so, so packed all the time for obvious reasons. It's to, it's not big. It's not a very big lake at all. And, uh, it, it, but I think it will produce the, I, re, I think it should produce the Texas record. Uh, what is the Texas state record now? Is that, it was 18. a late 18. 18, 18. That was yeah. Lake Fork on a crappie jig, right? Yeah. On a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that was like 92. Long, long time. Yeah. 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 I think, well, I think, I, I think that lake in particular, it's sad what's happened to Amistad. Who knows what's happened to that lake? It's gone off. I talked to Danny Brower the other day, and he's like, "We sure picked the wrong lake, didn't we?" <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, so sad. Well, you could have picked Falcon and done the same thing, right? I mean, yeah. And, 
So yeah, Falcon yeah, too, but it was just such a pretty lake. You know, Amistad was so pristine. It was just a different. It wasn't like Dirty Falcon. You know, it didn't have the drug cartels, and you weren't living near Laredo and all that other stuff. You were, you were in a really pretty, pretty lake that had just beautiful everything. And uh, it's just sad, you know. But yeah. I think well, Ivy will probably produce it. It's just for a sixteen-five in the fall. If 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 that's the case, that fish will be a monster. You know, in January, February. Yep. Absolutely. Well, cool. man, let's uh, let's uh, I guess we'll end it and uh, wrap Byron, it up. Thanks for so thanks good. a ton for uh, coming and spending a couple hours with us talking yeah. about the uh, the old days, uh, some big fish and all that stuff. Thank you for uh, having me, guys. I really appreciate the second round of this. That was great. Oh. Well, we'll do a third thank round you, Byron. too. So, <laughs> thank you. Let's do one yeah. of the. Byron's bunkers up and running and I can sit and talk. I'll have all these little things I'm selling. And you guys can be wearing your bass center hats that I send you. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 We could do it like the home shopping network or something. Yes. Yes. We'll do the home <laughs> shopping network. I'll just I'll do it from my eBay room. And I'll say, tonight we have this on sale. Tonight we have Terry, what do you want? He goes, I want a triple trout. Or I want, you know, an old old Rego, you know, or something. A wood Rego, all that stuff. That'd be Any awesome. way we can help you move that stuff, we're in. Hey, well, I want to get you guys, after we're done, text me the address where to send the uh, Bass Center hats. You want Loudmouth Bass, too, or just Bass Center? Both of them. Well, I'll Both send them. would be great. When you got next time, uh, see, I, have, I will definitely have Zona sign a Loudmouth Bass one because, you know, those those that, that would be that be something to have as well. Loudmouth, he'll die when you walk up and say, hey, sign this for me, Mark. He'll be, where the hell did you get that, Terry? Where the hell did you get that, Ken? You're like, ah, oh, your old buddy Byron out west. We'll, we'll, we'll take him to the Classic and get Zona and Kumar to sign. Is Kumar still yeah. there? Is still around? Is he still? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he's got yep. a newsletter called Bass Blaster that comes out a couple times a week. Oh, good. So he's walking around, huh? He's still doing the shows mm -hmm. and all that. He's still uh, doing a lot of bass coverage, and he's still chasing uh, Sasquatch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my oh, God, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, Byron, yeah, thank you. I don't know if my sound is good now, but it thank you so much. Yeah. Right back up. You know, I, I realized that uh, when, it, when you're talking about any pro angler, especially somebody who's been as much in the limelight as you have, Byron, through your other TV appearances and so forth, people uh, form an idea of who that guy is or whatever. But I'll tell you what, this conversation with Byron has been very much like it would be if we were talking at a tackle show or, or hanging around having dinner on the tournament trail. This guy is just, just this genuine, just this uh, warm and engaging. Uh, if you weren't a Byron Velvet, Velvet fan before this conversation started, uh, i got to believe you are now. Because he's great. Uh, I appreciate yep. that. Man. Thank you guys so much. Terry, Ken, it's so, I mean, you guys are great friends. And I, I, when you guys asked me to do these podcasts, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited to do it. And I, I was thrilled to do the first one, and this was even better. So thank you guys cool. for having me. I, I really Thanks, mean man. it. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate oh, you'll be, you'll be you. And uh, <laughs> don't appreciate be a stranger. We'll have it. Yeah. And you should have your own show. You should have your own show. Mm, don't tempt me. You, you have a, you'd, <laughs> you need you'd your daughter to help you. Fast. Yeah. Well, maybe someday. Right now, I'll just be busy. I barely made this one. I She had volleyball practice. And I was like, oh, my God, I talked to Nathan. I'm like, that popped up between the time we scheduled it. Now I'm like, she's got, you know, this club volleyball stuff. You're like, oh, my God, I'm not going to have a free weekend again for a long, long time. That's these crazy no. commitments, these club things to go 
eight months of like tournament twice a week or practice twice a week in tournaments. And I was, I didn't, I was like, I was panicking about making this show, you know, and getting back here in time to do it. So it's, it's, it's a lot. I might get to a podcast someday, but I appreciate you guys having me on this one. You'd be terrific. You'd build an audience fast and uh, I believe you'd enjoy it. Oh yeah. I enjoy this a lot. So thanks for walking down memory lane with me, you guys. Thanks so much. Our pleasure. Byron Velvick, everybody. Yay. Thanks, man. Terrific. Let the dogs out. Do let the dogs out. Let the dogs out. (laughs) There you go. All All right, right. folks, that's going to do it for uh, this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. We hope you had, hey, if you had half as good a time as uh, Terry and I did, then you had a blast with Byron Velvet. He's he's the best. Um, I'm going to slam the door on this one. Thanks for joining us again. We know your time is valuable, so we really appreciate your spending some of it with us. If you enjoyed the show, hit the like and subscribe buttons. And if you really liked it, please tell a friend about it. It would help us a lot. If you're a Big Bass Junkie, check out our website at thebigbasspodcast.com. You'll have our Big Bass Podcast calculator that Dr. Batiste prepared. It's good for fish over 14 and a half pounds, like Byron Velvet catches and some of the guys fishing OHIV. We also have a list of state record largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass. If you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can reach us via email, uh, Ken at thebigbasspodcast.com, Terry at thebigbasspodcast.com, and Nathan at thebigbasspodcast.com. Please join us again next time, and we'll bring you another story about another big fish that you will not, that you cannot find anywhere else. And Terry, what do they need to remember? Size matters. Size matters. (laughs) Bye, y'all. See you guys. See ya. How do I shut this off?